This episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Two of the deals that you can find on InStockTrades.com right now are, as you might guess it, these are Aquaman-related titles. We have Aquaman by Jeff John's Omnibus Hardcover. This is, uh, of course, the uh, where it sort of all began of the new 52 version of Aquaman's written by Jeff Johns, of course, art by Ivan Reese, Joe Prado, and colors by Rod Reese. It collects um, Aquaman numbers 0 through 19, 21, 25, 23.1, the Black Mana issue, 23.2, the Ocean Master issue, and Justice League numbers 15 through 17. It's 728 page hardcover. Whew, that is very, very big. But I mean, basically, if you're a new Aquaman fan from the movie or maybe just before the movie, this is kind of the good place to start is the Aquaman by Jeff Johns Omnibus. The normal price is $75, but in stock trades price is $43.50. That is 42% off. Uh, it's an amazing book. There is just these are some of the best Aquaman comics ever done. And so you can get that as the Omni- Aquaman by Jeff Johns Omnibus. And the other book I want to recommend is Aquaman, The Search for Mira, Deluxe Hardcover Edition. Any of you that's been following me on this show for years knows I've been bemoaning the fact that these classic stories by Steve Skeets and Jim Aparo have never been collected before. Finally, we've got them in a trade form. Uh, this collects Aquaman numbers 40 through 48, which was, again, The Search for Mira storyline. It features a cover by the great, the great Nick Cardi. Uh, it is thirty four ninety nine. That's the normal price, but in stock trades price is only twenty dollars and twenty nine cents. That is forty two percent off. These are some of the best Aquaman comics ever done. As I've mentioned many, many, many times, they've never been collected in a trade paperback before until now. So pick this book up if you've never read these stories, and I bet you haven't. They are amazing everyone knows how much of a fan of jim apparel i am he is some he's probably my favorite uh aquaman artist, certainly my favorite comic book artist of all time and so these are just an amazing bunch of stories so pick this up aquaman the search for mira only twenty dollars and 29 cents uh on in stock trade so for these and all the other trade paperback needs visit instocktrades.com we thank you for their support and now on with the show my father was a lighthouse keeper My mother was a queen, but life has a way of bringing people together. He could unite our worlds one day. Check it out, Arthur is talking to the fish. They made me what I am. I've been looking for you. Your half-brother, King Orm, is about to declare war upon the surface world. The only way to stop this war is for you to take your rightful place as king. Trust me, I am no king. You do your best thinking when you're not thinking at all. That was the worst pep talk ever. I want to strap in. Welcome home. My brother has come from the surface to challenge me for the throne. I call it an ass whooping. 
have no choice. I can't save my home and the people that I love. You think you're unworthy to lead because you're of two different worlds. That is exactly why you are worthy. That was awesome. The war is coming to the surface. Bringing the wrath of the seven seas with me. We're here. What do you do? Wait, 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 wait. You never parachute. Redheads, you gotta love them. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly. Now, on the last episode of the show, Shag and I and our guests, Chris and Cindy Franklin, reviewed the Aquaman movie. We gave our first thoughts about it right after we had seen it. Uh, But, of course, uh, any podcast network based around Aquaman, uh, when you're talking about an Aquaman movie, it's just too big a topic to just do one show on it. And so we are doing another whole show on the Aquaman movie. And my thoughts about this movie uh, really really can't be complete until I talk to the biggest Aquaman fan that I know, and that is my pal, Laura Jovag, the creator of the unofficial Aquaman website. Hello, Laura. Welcome back to the show. Hello. Nice to be here. I'm so happy to have you back. Of course, you and I have covered the Golden Age Aquaman so in previous episodes, and people really like those. We have to get back to those at some point because those, okay. those, those stories are super fun to talk about. But, but now we're here to talk about Aquaman in his most modern form, uh, that is, is being portrayed by Jason Momoa in a big screen movie. And I said, I am just dying to find out what you what you thought about this now. But before we even get to the movie proper, I need a little bit of context f- from you. Okay. What is your general thoughts on the cameo in Batman v Superman, his appearance in Justice League, and? Jason Momoa playing Aquaman just in general, because I think you and I have a relatively similar conception of what our Aquaman, quote unquote, our Aquaman is. I think it's pretty close. So I'm I'm just sort of thinking, how did you go into this movie? Well, one of my other big loves of DC Comics is actually Elseworlds. I have always been an Elseworlds fan. I collect those as religiously as I collect Aquaman. I just think of it as an Elseworld. It's it's not my Aquaman, but it's it's an Aquaman and it's interesting. It's an Elseworld. So... I, I can accept it as its own thing. All right. So, I mean, like, you, so you don't feel as that. Because that, people were asking me about it, like, you know, does, does it bother you that it's not your Aquaman? And I sort of just thought, well, my Aquaman lives in the comic books. And he's, right. my Aquaman lives in Super Friends. And none of that goes away because of this it's, movie. It's not like, not like they're being erased. Right, it's, exactly. No, no, Jason Momoa is not running in and finding every copy of, of Super Friends and deleting it. He's not <laughs> destroying every single copy of Silver Age Aquaman. No, it's it's adding to the mythos. It's not it's not destroying it. It's just adding it to it. And it is it is very different and has some interesting changes. But it's it's still Aquaman, and it's a it's a nice Elseworld, and I loved it. I I absolutely adored it. What did you think of the appearances you had seen to this point, like in BVS? I mean, yeah, of course, he's in BVS for 30 seconds. And then, of course, uh, his appearance in Justice League. Did you like those? Okay, well, BVS, I didn't really like that appearance just because it looked like he was holding his breath. Okay. Um, <laughs> in Justice League, I, I actually enjoyed Justice League a lot. A lot of I know a lot of people really hated it, but uh, that mad, the, the magic lasso scene was one of the best 
moments in comic book movies I've seen in a long time with, with him sitting on that. And, um, yeah, but, uh, I, I didn't hate it. I, I, it, it was all just more. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was good. Never, nothing's ever going to replace the Silver Age comics, but it was good. So you went into the movie with a relatively open mind, I think like I did. It was just sort of like, okay, yeah, this isn't my version. But as we have seen over time, I mean, you have a certain appreciation for all the different versions because you're a fan of yes. the 40s version and you're a fan of the Super Friends version and you're a fan of the comic book version in the 60s and 70s. So obviously you have to be tolerant right. Uh, if not a fan of all the different iterations. So, yeah, I think that was probably the best way to go into it. Like, okay, this isn't Super Friends Aquaman, but that's okay. My, my biggest thing going into this was just please don't suck. Please don't suck. Please don't suck. <laughs> if anything better than suckage would have been acceptable to me, and then it turned out to be a really, really good movie. Yeah. <laughs> At what point during the movie did you feel like you could settle in? Because I have that experience where there were movies Ooh. where I'm I'm kind of like – I don't know whether I'm going to like it or not. I'm a little skeptical. And then there's points where some movies, they sort of click into place and I go, okay, I'm along for the ride now. You got me. It there was, was, the, it was the moment. Yeah, it was the moment that biker guy pulled out his pink cell phone. Okay. Can I, can I get a selfie? That was it right there. Everything else up to that was pretty good. But when he did that, I, I just... I, I nearly fell out of my chair laughing so hard. The kid next to me, he, he must have thought I was insane. But, um, yeah, it was perfect. It was just that perfect moment where you're expecting another fight. You're expecting, oh, it's going to be a stupid bar fight. That's exactly what I was and afraid then, of, yeah. And then all of a sudden we're getting this montage of photos that where, where Aquaman's getting more and more cheerful. So, right. yeah. Okay, yeah. That was it. That was right then. I said, okay, I'm going to trust it. I'm going to sit in. This is going to be a fun ride. And so you enjoyed it from, from at that point, from the beginning to end, basically? Pretty much, yeah. I can't say there was any moment where I wanted to look at my watch. There was no moments where I wanted to get out of my seat. I don't like seeing uh, movies in theaters. I get very uncomfortable very quickly. I didn't realize it was over two hours until afterwards mm -hmm. when someone told me. I was that engaged with it. The entire way through. Yeah. And from beginning to end. <laughs> How do you feel like you treated the mythos? Because that was the thing when I walked out of the theater and I wrote the, the, the thing on my Facebook page where I just said, this is 110% an Aquaman movie. And that's really still how I think of, feel about it. I've still, I haven't had a chance to see it a second time. I'm a bad Aquaman fan. But like <laughs> you've seen it twice already. But to me, it's like I was so impressed with how much James Wan just – I get, sorry for the like, the water puns, but like just jumped into the pool neck deep. You know, he was just like, we're going to have every single thing from the main section of the Aquaman universe and we're going to put it in this movie. Um, from the mythos point of view, I mean, Manta's outfit. Oh, my gosh. Right. The, the mask on Orm at the, towards the end when he's Ocean Master, he's got that mask. The the visual representations of the trench. Everything was so picture perfect. It was amazing. Um, the history, there was a nice mashup of different eras of Aquaman. There was callbacks to various things. I thought it, I thought it was just really well done all the way through. It's, someone was really paying attention to a lot of the details. I do have some quibbles, but not a lot. Well, what were your quibbles? Let's hear those. What were your quibbles? <laughs> Okay, well, I've already said this on my, my own website, but my biggest quibble is probably Volko's hair. Okay, okay. That's, that's nobody, a pretty small quibble then. That, that's nobody a pretty good review can of the movie. ever 
match that hair from the original Silver Age comics. I know, I understand it would look horrible, but still, come on, he has a look, man. Um, Merc bothered me a lot. He was completely wrong. It was not that was not the character in the comics at all. Merc in the comics is a, a big hulking guy who's kind of very very loyal to Atlantis and not not a thug and he, he seemed like very much a, a, a Weasley thug in this movie that that didn't do much for me and I also where was Tritonus we had Poseidonus and Tritonus in the comics but it was like Zebel took their place or something mm-hmm. and the the kingdom of the fishermen is not Tritonus so I was kind of where's, where's what happened to Tritonus is it is it gone so those were those were really actually my biggest quibbles and and the one that bothered me most like i said is volko and that's pathetically small willem defoe's man bun wasn't working for you there no i hated the man bun Ugh. no he had to have the the balding head with the the sideburn hair that sticks out and poofs out that that no, it just didn't work for me. Okay. But I, tr- I, I kept trying to imagine William Dafoe with, with that hair, and I just can't do it. No. <laughs> so. Supposedly he shot scenes for Justice League that they cut out. I don't know where they would have fit him in, I guess in just that one scene. But, uh, yeah, there were some scenes on the cutting room floor, I guess, of him as, him as Volko. But so, I mean, you, you – so overall, I mean, you thought it was – like, did you, did you, you share my assessment that the movie – James Wan, I don't, when I compared it to Flash Gordon, some people took issue with that because Flash, Flash Gordon, Gordon is much more like the Batman TV series and Aquaman didn't go this far, but I also felt that it, 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 it did go very far away from the sort of Zack Snyder approach, which was just taking this all so very seriously. I mean, this, I thing, this thing has guys riding on sharks and stuff. really hate the, oh, we're gods view of superheroes. I really, I really hate the super serious Zack Snyder point of view uh, when when i think of justice league i find i'm thinking of all the scenes of happiness and and the joy of being a superhero and it's the same thing with aquaman it's more about the joy exploring these powers figuring out what they are not oh i'm i'm a superhero and i have my angst going uh, no it's it's more about the joy and yeah i i didn't think about flash gordon but that's eh, yeah a little bit. I mean, it depends I if you're see. if you're a fan of that movie. Some people don't like that movie, <laughs> and if you're not a fan of that movie, you, making that comparison is is not what you want to hear. But I just thought I I was just so impressed of how much James Wan just decided we're just doing Aquaman. That's it. We're not going to apologize. We're going to make. We're gonna, yes. He's going to ride a seahorse. Yes. He's going to have armor on the seahorse. Let's just do it. Let's stop trying to pretend this is at all a real world. And just go for it. And that's what I really appreciated about it because that's, oh, that's what you have to do when you're, when you're watching an Aquaman – reading any Aquaman comics. I mean this is a crazy world and that's – I thought that's always been the appeal of it to me. Yes. You gotta, you've got to dump the, um, the idea that, that certain things can't happen. I mean the whole, the whole voice, how are they going to talk underwater? James Wan did they it perfect. He, they just talk. Right. That, and then the comics, they just talk. That's – don't try to explain it. If you try to explain it, if you overthink it – None of it's going to work. It's a superhero comic, for goodness sakes. Yes, it's there's a place for, for all the science and trying to figure that stuff out, but it's not while you're trying to enjoy a movie. I think James Wan gets it. I, I am not a horror fan, but I'm actually tempted to go find some of his other movies now because that was just – it was just so good. 
I, I have only seen of his – I've seen The Conjuring, the first Conjuring, and I didn't think that was that great. I was like, all right, this isn't that scary. But I <laughs> I appreciate the fact that he has been able to hop genres because, of course, he did one of the Fast and Furious movies. Uh, and then he's done The Conjuring. So I'm like, okay, he's kind of done this street-level action and then this sort of ghost horror story. Now he's doing this thing. And, you know, in the early days when he talked about that, he wanted this to be almost like a pirate adventure movie. I thought, I like what I'm hearing. You know, that's really what and – I, and I said this on the, the previous episode. And I'm trying to imagine James Wan selling this to Warner Brothers because <laughs> when, he, when he must have pitched this, which had to have been at least two years ago, he was saying, give me a whole ton of money to make an Aquaman movie, which is – character still considered a joke in some circles. And it's going to be completely 180 degrees from what it is you've been building to this point. I just right. don't know how you sell it. He must be really good in, the, in a meeting room. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and I'm it's, right there with you. <laughs> and it's worked because now I just saw a headline saying Aquaman is going to be DC Comics' most successful movie, box office wise, since The Dark Knight Rises. Yep, which is I've, unreal. I've that. that is and unreal. I've, as as of this afternoon, I've bought the uh, DVD, pre-ordered it. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Now, all right, let, me, let me ask you about the performances. Let's go through the performances a little bit. I mean, okay. overall, Jason Momoa, I mean, what do you think of his sort of – you said – you've already said this kind of an Elseworlds version. But do you find some similarities in the Aquaman that you like versus the, the version that Jason Momoa was bringing us? He's he's like a giant puppy dog. He He's so – fun and happy and tail waggy and I'm I'm all over things. He doesn't fit Aquaman the detective. I mean the Aquaman's brief appearance in detective comics was one that I really loved because he was th- thinking really hard and doing things and working things out. Momoa's not that guy, but he does work things out. Um the the water thing with the the bottle and figuring out where to put the bottle and yeah you know, there are he has knowledge. He has he has things that, but he he says himself that he's a blunt instrument. That he's he's a tool. He likes he fights. That's what he does. And yeah, that's this version. He's he's less thinker, more fighter. And I'm okay with that. I um I actually like him more than I like the brave and the bold Aquaman because you know the outrageous. Yeah, okay, fine. Laura. <gasps> yeah, well, the brave and the bold Aquaman is is like so full of himself, whereas. Momoa's Aquaman is not. He's he gets humbled very 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 quickly in the movie. So. That is true. That is that is absolutely true. I mean, and he does have an arc in this film. I mean, he yeah, does he grows go from, from it. yeah. He's 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 humbled and he realizes he's been humbled and takes it to heart. I mean, the the, the one of the most heartbreaking scenes in the movie for me was when his mother's trident is destroyed, and just the look on his face, just like. I have been defeated. I have been mm-hmm. utterly defeated. He's broken. He's he's at that point in the movie, he's a broken man. And you can't have a hero's arc without them being broken or breaking like that at some point and then rebuilding. Interesting. Okay. Now, the one of the quibbles I had with the movie was I felt like it didn't do quite enough of him communicating with sea life. Like I wish there had been more of that. To me, that is that is my favorite part of the oh Aquaman my character. Gosh, I nearly killed my husband's knee every time the woo 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 started. It, I was. Oh, just, I, I did love that oh, they did just, that. Yeah. Pounding. Oh man, uh, the kid next to me. Oh, that poor kid. He must have been thinking I was a total mad woman. But I was just so happy. Was there um, enough of that for you? Yes. 
Yes, okay. I think there was, especially the long talk with the Julie Andrews monster at the end. I yes, <laughs> the Julie Andrews monster. I I just I thought it was it was plenty. I I I would like to have seen a little bit more, I suppose, but I I think it worked. Yeah, the Julie Andrews monster just I I loved her so much for that. Uh, there there are you know Mary Poppins and Aquaman out, and she's not in Mary Poppins this How week. How weird is that? Huh? I love it. I love it. <sighs> I would so, love yeah. to know what train of thought led James Wan to setting. You know what? We need to get Julie Andrews for this. What a what a strange you know choice to make. But I was like, okay, that's great. I knew going in that she was the voice, I, and I, I I was like, okay, I can hear that in her. But I liked that they filtered it and did all this kind of stuff I, with it. I didn't remember until after I'd seen it, and then after I'd seen the scene, I went, wait a minute, was that? And then I had to go check. Um, yeah, Juan said in some sort of interview that he wanted to break the convention of the, the monster being male and that the first voice first voice he thought of was Julie Andrews because she has such a fantastic voice. So, yeah. All right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I can, I can see that. All right. I mean, I, I was okay with the amount of voo-voo-vooing. I wish there had been more. <laughs> I don't – I generally don't like – giving movies a pass with the whole, well, they'll do it in the sequel. Cause to me, it's like, no, 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 give me the movie. Don't, don't try and sell me <laughs> on this thing later on. But like we said there, he does have an arc in this movie. And I hope that if they do a second one, that they really lean into that. I want to see him commanding the whole arc and talking to them. It's like the scene where he climbs in the whale's mouth and then just kind of lays down because he's so comfortable. Like, <laughs> I want to see more of that stuff. Well, I thought the the battle at the end, where it's very clear that he's he's in control of the the sea life. That that they're, the mounts are turning on the soldiers, the the sea life is taking out all the the ships, and and that was that was enough for me. Yeah. Okay. All right. I I like that with the Julie Andrews monster just swapping everybody around. It was great. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Did you, did you laugh the way I did when you saw the octopus playing the drums? <laughs> oh my gosh, Topo! Oh, Topo, Topo's playing the drums. <laughs> <laughs> I I missed it the second time. I watched it the first time um the Amazon Prime preview and the second time I saw it in 3D and I must have just glanced away just for a moment but cuz I missed it the second time and I was very upset at myself because I really wanted to see that one. I couldn't but, yeah. believe what I was seeing. I was just like I it can't. It was so uh, awesome. Yeah, like totally uh, got an octopus playing the drums. Why not? Makes me want to go see the movie again right now. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so Amber Heard is Mira. Like, what do you? What did you think of of Mira? Because, like I said on the show we did previously, I can't tell if Amber Heard is a good actress or not. I have not seen her in enough things to be able to sort of figure out whether it's just the line she's given. Like, I don't think that she adds a lot to any given line. The way I thought Momoa added some hmm. a twist on some things. I think she delivers it as specified, and I thought she was fine. But I, I. To me, the jury's still out on her. She certainly looks the part, uh, and I liked what they did with her character. I just don't know whether it's like, it's like uh, you know, would somebody else have done a really better job with this? I don't know. I just honestly can't tell. Hmm. I I never thought that way about her. Uh, she's. I thought she was fine. I I thought she did a great job, especially the um, the sense of wonder in the Sicily scenes where yes. she's like, "Wow, what is this new world I've been introduced to?" And the the roses. <laughs> But I I thought she was great. The, I initially I thought I'd hate her hair, but it worked for me in, in the end. Um, the color is very strange, but you, it couldn't be red underwater if it wasn't that red. 
So I, I guess it worked. No, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, you're right. I guess they wanted that kind of ridiculous, it, super saturated magenta y red as opposed to more of an orange red. Right. If if it's if it's in the water and it's not that color, it's not gonna be red. It's just hmm. isn't gonna work. So I guess I guess I accept that as a price for having her a redhead. I like the fact that she steps in and saves Aquaman in the battle. I thought that was like she, <laughs> as, as Shag pointed out, she's the one who makes the sacrifice. She yeah. forgoes she gave up her, everything. She gave up everything to save the guy. I thought that was great. And then the scene with the wine bottles, I thought was great. Oh, Turning the I wine into, 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 into water wine daggers, I thought was just like, I, that felt like the writers were sitting back and going, what, what kind of cool stuff can we do with these power sets? I thought, I yep. appreciate that. That was that was awesome. The 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 daggers were just it just oh the the shaking of the bottles, and you know what's coming next, and you're just waiting for it. And then <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, I I liked Amber Heard as, as uh, Mira. I think she did fine. I think she was uh, the, the appropriate level level of exasperated with Jason Momoa's character. So it worked out. When you I were like a kid, when you were, I've never asked you this. When you were a kid growing up and you were buying the Aquaman comics for the first time, like how much was Mira's presence like a selling point to you? Or were you always kind of like – because you know how like they brought Robin in. The theory with Robin is, oh, it's – you know that's the character for, for little kids to, to, to imagine that they are Robin. And I never had that. I was like, I just want to be Batman. I don't I – don't, <laughs> I may have been eight, but I want to be Batman. I don't want to be – Robin, but I mean, did Mira add anything it to to it to you, or were you always just it's Aquaman I, and all the other characters are great, but it's it's Aquaman that I'm here for. I, I always wondered why they would introduce a character that was so much more powerful than Aquaman, and then have him marry her. Mm-hmm. Um, no, um, it's it's always been Aquaman for me, and she's she's not really a factor in my love or, or whatever. But uh, yeah, I for for me, it's it's. Uh, a question about how much more powerful she is mm-hmm. and how interesting the dynamic is between the two of them, because he's got in the, the comics, he's got this kind of social power, this, this, um, the sea life power, whereas she's got this incredible hydrokinesis and can do tons of things that Aquaman can't. Um, but you know, it just, I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> <laughs> no fair. That's okay. Did you agree with me that I I felt a little like that the movie was almost a little overstuffed and that it was kind of like the world of Aquaman and that Aquaman is merely a piece in this greater world as opposed to being the dominant figure? And I would actually prefer when they do another one – again, this is always with an if they do another one. <laughs> if they do another that one. That <laughs> they pare it down and they make it more just Aquaman, Mira and one villain. Now, I know that these movies don't do that. They always have to make right. them bigger and bigger right. and bigger. That, so that's never going to happen. But nevertheless, like I feel like that they were almost unsure whether Jason Momoa could carry the movie by himself. And so they they loaded it up with Black Mana and Ocean Master and Volko and, and Atlanta and his mother and Mira and all these characters – and I feel like they don't need to do that the next time. But did you feel like Aquaman got like sort of enough to do in this movie? I I felt that the arc was very solidly Aquaman's. I, I felt that the whole movie was very much Aquaman's. I was afraid when I heard about Black Manta that it was going to you know suffer from the two villain syndrome. Right. But Ma- Manta's part is, let's face it, it's what he's been in the comics. He's the arms dealer. He's the the guy who 
does things for Orm in, you know, just kind of under, under the table does things. And it worked for me. I think they could have cut the, the, the length down. It, it's yeah. But, but the second time I watched it and then I couldn't find any spot that I would have cut. Hmm. I, I, I'm sitting there watching it, knowing that it's over two hours and just think, okay, where would I cut? And no, I didn't see anywhere where I would have cut, where I would have wanted to cut. It was just that good. There was just the, it worked so well the way it was. I mean, I'm sure that there's a plot, little plot points they could have gotten out, but there was so much of one thing leading to another. It was just a, a tight script, in my opinion, where everything added on to make a little bit better, to make a little bit more story, to add to the story. To And I thought it was Aquaman. I I, I don't think he was overloaded at all. Okay. That's, that's just me. But then, you know... <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to picture, like, if they did a sequel, could they just do Black Mana as the villain? Would that be enough? Do you think that – what do you think of that actor be, playing that, that played be, Black Mana? Oh, oh, I liked him. I thought he was great. Um, if it's going to be – the next movie is going – if they make it, is going to have to be Black Mana and Stephen Shin. And don't forget what Shin is responsible for. He did the whole Sub Diego thing. So if um, we get another movie, I, I could see it in – Doing something Sub Diego ish. Wow. Oh my goodness. That would, you know, okay. Now, oh, gee, you just started my brain going off a whole other direction. <laughs> Let me put a pin on that. I want to get back to that. But before we get off this, I, so you like that actor that played Black Man. You like, you, I mean, first of all, he looked just like the comic book version. It's unbelievable oh, yes. how well they handled that. But you like the, the, I think the name is uh, Yaha Abdul Mateen II. You thought he was like, could you picture I, him filling the space in the second movie as the main villain? Ooh. Cause, cause as you said, he is kind of just the, he's the muscle in this. He's just the guy that ocean master hires to just shoot his eye beams at Aquaman. It's like, is there enough there for him to be the villain in the next movie? You know, if, if it hadn't been for the mid credit sequence, I would say, I'm not sure, but the mid credit sequence where he's, kind of telling shim you don't don't mess with that i'm like okay yeah that's there you go um i think he could i think he could pull it off okay i i think so i mean the, i the the look of it was amazing i loved that i get oh. mentioned on the show i loved when he did the 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 arms cross thing to just fire his beams there was no reason to do that There's it no just reason looked for really it. cool I, I love that they actually gave a reason for the helmet to being the way it is. Yes. Because he's got these plasma blasters that are so powerful, they're going to rip apart any anything, and his face is going to get totally burned if it's right. right in front of it. So he has to extend these plasma things out far enough from his face so that he doesn't get burned. And it made the whole shape of the Manta helmet make sense. Yep. Nobody's yeah. ever done that before. <laughs> yeah. I looked, I looked really cool. I said it. It just, it just worked. I loved him standing on the ship, like the Manta ship, when the, he's talking to Orm. Oh. Like I just thought that was a beautiful visual. Like I loved like, how it, the the lights coming up from underneath. Right. Yes. Like it was like just a luminescence thing. I thought that looked really gorgeous. Yeah. Very yeah. nicely done. All right. So cast wise, um, Patrick Wilson as Ocean Master. What did you would you think of Patrick Wilson? <sighs> oh, it made my heart break because you know Orm was blonde and Aquaman had dark hair. <laughs> 
you know, you can't get everything you want. Mm-hmm. Now, I liked Patrick Wilson, and I think um, he made a very good case at the beginning of the movie for the war. Uh, it was how he started to carry it out that it made it clear that he wasn't – his intentions may have been justifiable, but they weren't good. So I, I thought he did a good job of portraying that. And then when he sees Atlanta at the end and just breaks down, I'm like, oh, it's so sweet. I appreciated the fact that they don't kill him off at the end of the movie. Like, yes. it, it's like a classic comic book ending where he's literally like led away by the authorities. <laughs> it felt mm-hmm. like very old school. Very old school. It felt very Silver Age in a lot of ways. I like yeah. that. Take him away. <laughs> yes, sir, yeah. Aquaman. Yeah, I liked yeah. how I liked how much Patrick Wilson kind of had the, the that glare of a zealot. Yes. I sort of appreciated that. Like he was completely convinced of his mission. And I like I, I started to notice this after a while. Like during some of his speeches, he never blinks. He just yes. stares straight ahead. And I sort of appreciated that kind of weird, like, this dude is way, way into it. Like I liked and all that stuff. He went from being reasonable, from sounding somewhat reasonable to killing the fisherman king and going after the Brian King and being just insane. And that was, I think that was effective. Effectively his arc actually was that he lost it more and more. The more he knew there was opposition to him, the more angry, the more zealot, the more insane he got. Yeah. I mean, he has a lot of the Patrick Wilson, the actor has a lot of the heavy lifting to do. Cause I mean, of course it, a lot of the time he's probably talking to a CGI creature. I mean, they, you know, they, at some point they had to give him the direction. Okay, you're talking to a crab guy now, Patrick. I mean, he had to sit there and pretend he's talking to a crab guy who's like, oh, kiss off, Ocean Master. Blah, 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 blah. You know, like you have to sit there and not laugh at that or whatever. It's pretty amazing. I love the scene where he's like, yeah. they will call me Ocean Master. And I'm like, there is no reason to call anyone Ocean Master other than that's simply from the comic books. And damn it, James Wan, I love that you're doing that. That, that they, they gave it a reason, uh, an actual reason to call him Ocean Master instead of just, I'm Ocean Master. Yeah. Oh, and his his helmet, his face mask, when, when he t- attaches the face mask to the helmet, I just about cried. Because, again, picture perfect from the comics. You've got Black Manta and Ocean, Manta, Ocean Master looking exactly the way they do in the comics. It's just, yeah, I, I'm kind of – I got – Tears coming because it was so good. <laughs> On land, you can feel the tears, Laura. Never expected a movie of Aquaman ever. Never. I, not in my wildest dreams when I was a kid would I have expected them to be able to pull off a movie of Aquaman. And to have it actually be the comic books come to life. Yeah, I mean, people have been asking me. People have said that, like, uh, in the lead-up to this, they were like, this is the movie you've been waiting your whole life for. And I'm like, no, I haven't. Because I didn't think there was a chance it was ever going to happen. I mean, I I haven't been waiting my whole life to be a baseball player either, because that's not going to happen, you know? I mean, so it's like... It just, it didn't, it never crossed my mind that it could actually happen. And when they said a couple years ago, five years ago, when it was first being talked about, I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, and I had the same reaction, yep. It's not going to happen. It's it's just not. And to get in that movie theater and to see the Aquaman logo on the screen, to see Paul Norris's name I know, on the big great? screen, more Weinziger and Paul Norris on the sc- on the just, screen. Oh, I I cheered so loud at that that some of the people around us were like, "What? Who are they?" Yeah, oh, I got very excited. <laughs> I clapped when I saw that. I was very, very apparently. Um, 
James Wan revealed that on one of the tr on the Trident, if you look really closely, now I don't think you can see it on screen uh, mm -hmm. without the help of like a you know like freeze framing it, but apparently <laughs> there's a bunch of no, no, like notches on or or inscriptions on the Trident, and at one point and when on in some part of the Trident it says Mort and Paul on it, <laughs> which has just got to be unbelievable. I mean to think that like you got to think that Mort Weinzinger when he created this co-created this character like you know he was just banging these out. I mean he created Green yeah, Arrow in the same book. You know he was just like just tossing fill, out ideas, yeah, trying to get pages, the people by the comics. Yeah. yeah, and so you know in in the space of one month he created two characters that Warner Brothers has turned into a movie and a TV show. Yeah. Seventy five years later, that's just unreal. But okay, I don't I don't want to get off this. <laughs> What did you think of um, Nicole Kidman as as Atlanta? I mean, talk about bringing in like a heavy hitter to be the Ooh, mom. I wasn't really sure about her. I'm still kind of iffy. Um, she she played it perfectly adequately, um, but she had such a small part. Really, she did. Oh, the battle scene in, in the lighthouse! Wow, nice. Um, and one of the times I did actually cry in the theater was when she takes off her. Uh, her hidden world helmet and up comes Aquaman. It's his mom. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that she had a lot of chemistry with Tamira Morrison? Cause that was the one, that was one part of it. I didn't, I didn't really buy, I didn't see them as like these star cross lovers faded to be together. And, and it, it wasn't, it wasn't their story. Right. If it was entirely on them, not enough chemistry, but it wasn't. And for, for what they were trying to show, I think it was enough. Okay. Just enough. Okay. I th I thought it worked for for that, but yeah, she seems so cold mm -hmm. the entire time. And um, yeah, okay, she's a queen, but yeah, uh, I don't know. Okay. Well, speaking of chemistry, I wanted, what did you think of the chemistry between Momoa and and Amber Heard? Like, do you when they have that kiss at the end during the battle? Like, <laughs> was that was that plausible to you, or did you feel like it was just merely the screenplay putting them together because they have to be together? That that was Mira trying to get Aquaman to actually do his job, <laughs> and that was not that was yeah that was not um, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, not plausible. Um, I'll I'll go not plausible. It was it was Mira pushing him on. Not they they have more of a brother sister relationship throughout the whole whole movie right up to there, and um, it worked as a brother sister relationship. They hadn't fallen in love yet, mm -hmm. and I I'm not sure they had by that last scene. Okay. All although right. although although I will give give him this. Anyone coming out from under that waterfall in that outfit is going to make a girl's heart flutter. I mean, that's, <laughs> wow. That was, uh, that was the other, another moment that made me cry. Actually, was, uh, when he came out that waterfall in that outfit and banged the trident down, I was just, Oh, I never I'm, thought in a million oh. years, even though we was already seeing an Aquaman movie, I didn't think they were going to do the costume when they finally, no, no. and I, and I wish they had not shown it in the poster or the trailers. Cause I just would have been like, blown out of the theater that he walks out in that outfit. I just, I really did I not know screamed. they were going to do it. I would yeah. have literally screamed aloud if, if I hadn't known it was coming. And as it was, yeah, I was crying. Yeah. <laughs> and pounding my poor husband's knee. Yeah, I mean, it is, that is literally the, the way that uh, Ivan Reese and Joe Prado have been, and Rod Reese have been doing it, that sort of reflective, shiny thing. Yep. Uh, I mean, really unbelievable. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that they don't really are in love at the end of the movie. I think she 
is interested in him and sees sides of him she didn't see and that attracts her to him. But yeah, I would agree. They're probably not in love at the end of that movie and maybe that's somewhere to go in the in the next one. Yeah, I think I think that kiss the way my mind justified it was that Mira was trying to make sure he stayed into stayed in it to the end. That he's here, here's here's a hint of what might happen if you're and then they kinda, you know, went on about however long, too long. It was just no. Okay. All right. No. All right. So now I, I, I want to get back to this, this thing you said about Sub Diego because okay. I love the Sub Diego storyline. Those are some of my favorite Aquaman comics, uh, the ones by Pat Gleason and uh, Will Pfeiffer. Uh, now, if they did do – first of all, Sub Diego, that makes a lot of sense to do as a movie because it's big. It's a big event. You know, yes. That's a big, big thing they could do. It's a, you could really let the CGI guys sink their teeth into that thing. But if they did do Sub Diego – they could do Aqua Girl, Lorena Marquez. And I have said yes, many times could. that Lorena Marquez is my favorite addition to the Aquaman family, basically other than Mira. She's good, yeah. And what would you think about bringing her into the movie? Do you think that would be too much? I mean, I, I am – now that you've said it, I'm like, oh, yeah, do that. I would love to see that character in live action. I Yeah, I um, – wow, the – just the fact that Stephen Shin was there is what made me think of Sub Diego. But yeah, you could bring Lorena in that way, and man, you'd have to have the same writers because <laughs> they they knew how to build and layer. And I would have to be, uh, oh man, um, my brain just went kablooey. I mean, I could see you'd run the risk of having another character with similar powers, but I guess I mean Mira has similar. I mean, they're all that they all go underwater and stuff. They, they all have stuff. underwater powers. Aquaman's. If if you bring Lorena in, <laughs> now now I'm kind of confused because yeah, there's there's so much there that could. I mean, I'm here. I am making the argument. I want to see less of the Aquaman family, and now here I am saying bring Aqua Girl into it, which is the exact opposite <laughs> of what I just said 20 minutes ago. But but I don't know. I love that character so much, and I loved his relationship with her in the comics. That, yeah. you know, although that wouldn't be the relationship that Jason Momoa would have with because he'd still be a relatively new Aquaman. But, yeah. I mean, you know, it would be the kind of thing where, like, you could you could layer it in. You could have a character named Lorena Marquez and you could pick it up later if you wanted to. But not necessarily. Yeah, it's, it's, it. it's a possibility. I Like you said, I'm, there's a lot going on in this movie, the original, the first one. But i would want them to to really have a good script for the second one and if you're going to bring lorena in it's got to be there's got to be a good reason she has to have a good arc and it can't destroy aquaman's arc right it's got it's got to be on its own on its own terms so uh, i don't know no, did you, I'm, not, I'm not that good a writer did you know going in that there was a mid credits or post credit sequence no, I had no idea. Okay. Because I knew there was something. I didn't know what it was, uh, but I knew there was something. And, and I said this on the show where uh, as, as the credits were rolling and I was waiting for this other scene, I was like, what are they going to do? And I'm like – I had a bunch of thoughts simultaneously. And one was like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if they did the human flying fish? And then right after that, I said <laughs> – right after that, I said, they're not going to do that. That's ridiculous. And then a third thought was, well, they might because this movie has shown that they might do something that ridiculous. They can do anything. They, they will you know, do anything. I was like, they really no. could have a guy with like wings under his arms. I'd be like, why not? I mean, we're, we're this far in at this point. So what the hell? I'd like the next movie to start that way with, with Aquaman punching out a guy with – that calls himself 
the human farming fish and then going <laughs> on from there. That would be fantastic. <laughs> a pre-credits like James Bond sequence. Yes. That would be fantastic. <laughs> I'm the human flying pool. And then he just knocks the guy out. He doesn't even get the whole name out. That would be fa- That would be great. Oh, we got to write that down and send that. (laughs) Tweet that to James Wan at Creepy Puppet on Twitter. We got to send that to him. That's too perfect. Oh, my God. Although that leads me to my next question then. Like, let's pretend that they decide to do two villains. They shouldn't, but let's say they're going to. Do you have another villain? Like, not Ocean Master again. Would you, like, the Fisherman? The Scavenger? I mean, Aquaman's Rogue's Gallery isn't that deep, unfortunately. Well, I'm telling you, um, with Stephen Shin introduced as next to black manta i'm thinking those are our two villains right there okay. yeah i that's, mean there's certainly i mean randall park is not like a huge name but he's somewhat of a name to bring in as that character so i could see that they would give him more to do in another movie but yeah that's that's what that is what i would see him doing i don't know if that would be what they do ideally i would like to see someone other than black manta but who do you bring in, really? Yeah, um, I mean, scavenger, the, yeah, the scavenger, the fisherman. I mean, fisherman. Uh, yeah, there's not there is not a whole lot. I mean, of course, you could do any villain from the DC universe at this point. I mean, King Shark, not limited King King Shark. I mean, why not? I mean, that was. What did you think about the fact that this movie pretty much doesn't engage with the DCU at all? I mean, you see. Um, you see, like the news channel is like uh, Gotham City News or whatever or whatever. No, GBS. It's GBS. It's the Metropolis. G- GBS. Yeah. Well, you also see the the um on Stephen Shin's wall. You see a bunch of newspapers and, and mention of Superman. Oh, and, do you really? I believe oh, Wonder I Woman. That. Oh, I'm. Oh, and wow. Oh, cool. Mira or somebody somebody mentions Steppenwolf or at least the battle against him. So, uh, okay. it is all in there. It's just not. I mean, it's it's Aquaman. Why would you need the rest of the DCU at this point? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's isn't so, that amazing to think that the Wonder Woman and Aquaman movies are more successful than the Superman and Batman movies? <laughs> how, how, I love it. What crazy it, upside down it. world are we living in? I mean, that's insane. Makes me very happy. It sure does. Oh my god. Yeah. So I, I did. I did think of one other thing that could happen in a next Aquaman Do movie. It. Yeah. What? Based based on the Seven Kingdoms, you've got Atlantis. Which is one, Zebel, two, the Fisherman, three, the Brine, four, the Trench, five, the Deserters, which are um, basically gone, six, and the Lost Kingdom. Hmm. So what's the Lost Kingdom? Is that the next movie? It could be. It certainly could be. Why not? I mean, you can really send them on that big journey kind of thing. That would be interesting. There's definitely something to explore there. Yeah. And. If you get Black Manta and Shin involved in the Lost Kingdom, then you might go some completely different direction than Sub Diego, but it might be interesting. That's true. I'm glad you brought up the trench. I wanted to ask you, what did you think of the trench sequence? I love oh that whole sequence. Gosh, oh, I knew it was coming. They're in the boat. They're in the storm. I knew what was going to happen next. I knew with absolute certainty what was going to happen next, and yet I still jumped three feet out of my seat. <laughs> she turns around and he's there. I was. Oh, they were so good. They were just, again, from from the comic book page to life, they were just so good. And, um, wow. That was James Wan flexing his horror muscles. That was just like, yes. okay, I'm going to do, you know, the Aquaman characters in an alien movie of just them swarming. I, again, and I thought and that was a beautiful so visual of him with of the... Them. Uh, with him with the uh, the, the red flare going under the red water, like, that was beautiful. I, I loved the setup on the boat where they're they're kind of 
okay, what are these? What do we do? This is the trench. This is what killed my mother. Oh, uh, they, they're scared of light. We've got to use light. And then from the setup there, that chase scene that's just fantastically done. But where the heck did they all come from? What do they eat? I said that too. They, what the hell do they live off of? There's so they, many they must, of them. They must eat each other and they must reproduce really fast. Yeah. That's that's the only thing I can think of. And that would be a pretty scary thing for Atlanteans. You, they, they, something has to keep them where they're at. And there's this fisher, fishing boat over them and they attack it. So obviously that's a spot that's not in the shipping lanes. I hope <laughs> not. Or if it is, if someone drifts into it, they're gone. They're dead. Enough yeah. enough ships disappear every year that, yeah, that makes sense. But wow, that that was incredible scene. Um, I thought they were extremely well realized. It looked just like the artwork. I thought it literally yeah. looked like the, the new 52 it, it, issues just right on the just movie screen. jumped off the page right into the movie. It was so good. And then was that Scartarus? When it wasn't Skitaris, but I mean, it certainly, it certainly makes you think that it is because it's the, this. You I know, turned to my husband. John Carter Warlord to Mars kind of world there. That that really looks like Skitaris. That that looks like that. And I mean, there's portals to that. It's in the center of the Earth. There's dinosaurs. It it seemed like it might be you know some portion of it to me. It certainly seems like a lot of overlap between that and the world that yeah. Jeff Parker introduced where the mother is alive and all that other kind of stuff. I mean, again, yeah. you, could, you really could go anywhere. I mean, good Lord, you could, <laughs> you could have Aquaman going swimming for a long time and, and wake up on the uh, the island of the war that time forgot where it's all dinosaurs and stuff. I mean, you could just... You, you it, could was just a, it was a portal. It could have been anywhere. Yeah, you could travel to any portion of the DC universe at this point. Yeah, it's... it's I, I, well, I, I'm like, I'm, I kind of knew that you liked it because I saw your reaction on Twitter <laughs> from the beginning, but I'm, I'm so relieved because it's like you and I are such old school fans. And I think you and I are sort of simultaneously like hard to please, but maybe easy to please because we're kind of going into it. Yeah. With just, we just can't believe that this thing even exists. <laughs> so, like, we're sort of thankful that at the very least it doesn't just like dump on him and make him a joke. And the fact that it was so well done. And yes. they, they took it all sort of – they took it seriously but in a good way, uh, but did it with humor and wit and a lot of sort of fleetness, you know, like lightness kind of in terms of going <laughs> from scene to scene. And yet – and then to see that it's so massively successful. It's currently the number one movie in the world, which is just like – Oh, wow. What? <laughs> How, what? Get, did you ever think that you would be able to say the number one movie in the world is Aquaman? No. That's, that, no. None of those words make any sense in that order. That's just, that's <laughs> they that that doesn't make any sense at all. No, no, it does not. So it's just unbelievable. I so, love it. Yeah, but it doesn't oh, make any yeah. sense. Yeah. So yeah, I am obviously I'll be getting this. I do want to see it another time in the theater. It's just hard to get out there, and, and it's very hard for me to see movies a second time because I'm yeah. like, there's so many other things I want to see for the first time, yeah. let alone seeing something a second time. But I do want to, you know. I don't go to theaters in general. I don't right. like going to theaters, but I did. I did have to see it in 3D and see if it improved it at any, at all. And eh, no, not really. It's it was okay. Um, I had the possibility of seeing an IMAX last week and just said no. I can't even handle that right now. So because <laughs> going to a movie in the theater twice is very unusual for me. Going mm -hmm. three times is unheard of. Right. Right. So, but it is an Aquaman movie, Laura. but it is Aquaman. I almost did. What did yeah. your husband think of it? By the way, I should ask. What he, did he? Think? He enjoyed it. He, he enjoyed it, and he went both times with me. Um, he liked it. 
and he, we we kept making comments. And of course, I I beat his knee to pulp instead right. of screaming in the theater. <laughs> poor <laughs> poor man, he's still bruised. It was uh, it was really good to see. It was. I mean, I can't say I've been waiting for it for forty years, but it felt like it. At the end of it, I was like forty years. Yeah. Yeah, it did feel like a I, nice validation to, to it felt you know so you, much you like and I have weathered so many jokes about our fandom. So many stupid for jokes. So, so long, many, yeah. So much crap, and then this movie is the number one movie in the world. Yep, yep, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, all right, let's let's wrap it up here. Um, like I said, I'm I'm very relieved. Uh, that you liked it as much as you did. I'm relieved that I liked it as much as I did, and it's just something we can enjoy, and it's just been a, a terrific ride. And again, we'll we'll get to enjoy it when it comes to home video, I guess, in a couple of months. The, oh, window, yes. the windows are shorter and shorter now. I'll probably be on home video by, like, spring, <laughs> and then I'll get to well, watch like it. Well, like I said, I, I pre-ordered want. it this afternoon, so. Did they give you a date? Does it, does it there was no date yet, okay. but I pre-ordered it. Yeah, it's coming. It'll be coming soon. So, And we'll get to enjoy it over and over again, and I hope that maybe – um. I have no idea what special features they do. I would love to hear James Wan do a commentary. That would be really interesting oh, just to hear his thoughts. That would be awesome. That would be really cool. But uh, yeah, it's it's said it's it's unbelievable. And, and so again, I'm just so relieved that you liked it. And uh, like I said, you have been you know I would say you are the greatest Aquaman fan in in the world. And so uh, I, I hope that James Wan, if he's listening to this, I know he's not, but if he does, I hope he <laughs> takes it as a the compliment that it is that, that you liked it as much as you did. The, the, the two of us, yeah. <laughs> two of the best Aquaman fans there are. <laughs> Wonder Twin Powers activate. So, woo. Uh, woo. so well, anyway, Laura, thank you so much for <laughs> thank you so much for coming by and talking to me again about this movie. Yes. This is just so much fun. And so, again, we'll, we'll have you back on the show at some point to do more Golden Age stories. But for right now, Absolutely. we're going to enjoy Aquaman as he exists in his 2019 form, which is Movie Star. Movie Star. All right. Well, actually, we're, we'll have a link to your site on in the show notes, of course, the unofficial Aquaman website. And uh, like I said, oh, that's, does that mean I have to update? <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to update. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, Laura, thank you so much for coming by again. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, everybody. Well, stay tuned. Uh, we're going to run some podcast promos. And when we come back, we're going to have a special second feature where we're going to have some behind the scenes info of the making of Aquaman, the movie. Stay tuned. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter, Batman, Dr. Fate, Black Canary, Fire, Ice, Maxwell Lord, Oberon, Captain Marvel, Rocket Red, Captain Adam, Mr. Miracle, Guy Gardner, Booster Gold, Blue Beetle, Nort, and many, many more. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? To confront the ultimate killers, I must construct the ultimate alias. Hey, who is that lady? I think she could fly. To combat the murderers who destroy my family, crush my own life on their way to consuming everything, I must become a greater, more fearsome destroyer. 
Hey man, somebody killed this lady. To track down the animals who prey on the innocent, I must stalk them first. I am no longer their quarry. I am the Huntress. New Huntress Podcast, coming to you in 2019. Visit thehuntress89.blogspot.com for new episodes. Go to the Facebook page at Huntress Podcast. Go to Twitter, The Huntress Podcast. And you can always find episodes of The Huntress Podcast at rightonnetwork.com. And go to Apple iTunes, where this podcast is a joint venture with the Helena Bertinelli podcast and the Cassandra Kane Bad Girl podcast. So go to Apple Podcasts, the Bad Girl slash Huntress podcast. And we're back. And as promised, we're here to get some juicy behind the scenes information on the making of Aquaman, the movie. And, uh, Joining me are uh, people that you've heard on the network before, the Daily Brothers, Jake and Elwood. Hi, guys. <laughs> We're on a mission from God. <laughs> we have a picture to support that. <laughs> How's it going, guys? I'm really excited to talk to you guys. But, I mean, I've been enjoying your shows together, but now I'm going to do my best to sort of just stay out of the way here as you guys talk about the stuff you know about the Aquaman movie. But before we get into the behind-the-scenes stuff, Neil, that's what you're here for, I want to hear – your general thoughts on the movie. Like, Ryan, let's start with you. Like, what did you think of the... You weren't even planning on seeing it, right? No, you finally broke down? Is that what the yeah, idea was? Yeah, I, I wasn't excited to see the movie, and it's just because my heart has been broken enough times with the recent DC movies <laughs> um, that I was like, okay, uh, the wife and I, we were going to go see it, and then she kind of backed out to do something else. So I ended up... I saw it on Christmas night, like, after the obligations with the family and everything. I just kind of slipped away uh, and saw it by myself on Christmas night. And I have sort of two distinct feelings about the movie. And if I separate myself and think of it as an objective film goer who just wanted to go to the movie theater and be entertained um, for, you know, two hours, in that case, you know, I, I gave the movie about a B or B plus range. I thought it was fun. I thought this particular version of Aquaman, while it wasn't the version that I wanted, I thought he was kind of fun to watch. I, I liked the, the action most of the time. The visual splendor of the thing was, like, really cool. Um, I had some critiques and some problems with kind of the, the structure and how much they put into the movie. But, you know, I mean, for being, you know, two-plus hours, I thought it moved at a pretty good clip, and I didn't feel bored. Um, there were times when I was like, they, I felt like they could have cut that out, but it didn't. It wasn't prohibitive. Um, so just as a general moviegoer, I thought, oh, this is this is entertaining. Uh, this is uh, as a pass. This is probably the best one of the DCEU, or, or pretty close to where Wonder Woman stands for me. Um, now, having said that, I mean, <laughs> like, back, Rob, when you and I, when we talked about the uh, Batman versus Superman in the review that everybody loved us for doing. <laughs> the infamous. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> You know, back when we did that one, the first thing I said was I, I was going into that movie with a bias against it. And I, I had to prejudge the movie beforehand. And we still got people, you know, a famous comic book creator called me out and said, your, your opinion is invalid because you prejudged that. I was like, I, I, I owned that. I said that beforehand. Well, I kind of, I had the same problem with this one. And for me, it was 
the casting of Jason Momoa as the character. Now, my problem isn't that he isn't the Aryan poster boy Aquaman that we grew up with mm. in the Super Friends and the comics and everything like that, but even though that was kind of what I went with. It's not that he didn't look the part. It's this deep-seated feeling, and Neil, you actually might be able to speak to this later on or when we get to the episode, but for me, it, the casting of him was like part of the original sin of Zack Snyder and where mm. I felt like <laughs> he was coming from with this movie, and maybe this is completely wrong. I have no evidence to support this, but my feeling has always been that I don't think Zack Snyder probably ever cared about Aquaman. He might have thought Aquaman was a joke. Aquaman was the punchline to every stand-up comedian in the 90s. <laughs> and so when he came, when he was like, okay, i got to put Aquaman in this movie, he made sure that he cast somebody that nobody would laugh at. He cast somebody that just exudes badass, you know, that, that quality and everything. Like, they even gave him that line and everything because he wanted to make sure that Aquaman wasn't a joke. And if that's your idea going in, then that means you think there's something wrong with the character. So to me, the casting of, of Jason Momoa in this role always felt like Warner Brothers and Snyder in particular were ashamed of the character. So they were... <laughs> they were doing this to kind of cut that off in the past. And that bothered me. And that made me think, like, if you don't have faith in this character, I don't really have much interest in your movie. So that was something I could not shake throughout this movie-going experience, was I was watching this thinking, I wish they put, I wish somebody else was, was in this role. Like, I, I couldn't get out of my head of thinking, this thing is tainted. But, Very... like, putting that aside, like, my <laughs> overall thing was, I thought the movie was entertaining and it was a fun watch, so... That's, that's kind of where I was. Let me ask you this, Ryan, real quick before I jump in, because you're right. I do have a ton of thoughts about this and a ton of – and I can back up everything I'm going to say with evidence. But I'm curious to know, uh, having seen it now, has your opinion of Jason Momoa playing the role changed from what you went into it as? Not really. I mean, I still think – He's he's a very charismatic actor. He's fun to watch. He's he's an actor that you want to see on screen. Mm -hmm. But and I, I mean I mentioned this to Rob when they announced his casting, I was like there are a hundred comic book characters that I would have cast him in before Aquaman. Like, name more. <laughs> yeah, name, name more. But like, literally, like, I made a list. Like, I was actually like, am I just, am I just speaking hyperbolically? No, I made a list of a hundred characters, and so I was still kind of like, gosh, this guy could do so much. And I, but I mean, yeah, he, I again, I, I thought his performance was fine for this type of Aquaman. I had no complaints about him. I thought he was fine. It, but this is just something that's always going to bother me on this this personal bias level that I can't shake. Like, I, I, I'm not kind of like, yeah, okay, you know what, Zack Snyder was right to cast him. I'm never going to say that. Okay, I always fair. Think, I always think somebody else could have done the role. And I always think, like, Momoa could have played Hawkman. Played, you know, anybody, but yeah, yeah. something else like that. Well, I will, I will piggyback on the fact that I think uh, you're a hundred percent right that this was all Zack Snyder's call. This was definitely he planted these things long before an Aquaman movie was greenlit by deciding that this is going to be my Aquaman going forward. And then there were rumblings even before I came aboard and and started doing what I do, which we'll get into later. There were there were rumblings that they had announced an Aquaman standalone film as part of the DC but they weren't really a hundred percent backing it. it they wanted to see how the character did and you know this was going to be one of those things that would be easily dropped and forgotten about had 
the, the had had Aquaman just fallen on his face in in Justice League. So it's it's definitely there there were there were very few people championing Jason Momoa at the time that Zack Snyder picked him. Yeah, when they first announced the movie, I just was like, oh, they're never going to make this. They're, they're, they, right, DC announces right. tons of things. DC was like, oh, we're going to do Birds of Prey and Teen <laughs> Titans and Cyborg and Flash and three Green Lantern movies and a this and a that and Johnny Thunder. And I'm like, none of this is going to get made. It's all going to be Superman, Batman again. So, <laughs> so you know, joke's on me. But, for yeah, for at least the first year after it was announced, I was like, yeah, this is never going to happen. Yeah, and part of that, part of that too, has to do with uh, you know Warner Brothers meddling in the the Zack Snyder's universe, the worlds of DC is is what they're calling it now. They there was you know there was there were plans to do a cyborg feature. There was going to be two more Justice League movies, and Cyborg was going to have a definitive role, a character changing uh, or a story changing role that was going to come out. Because and this is stuff that we can get into at another time. I don't want to veer too far away off subject, but the whole universe that Snyder created never came to fruition and so then we were kind of left with remnants of characters and stories and it was hard to necessarily fall in love with and we don't know what their purpose was and thing and and I think at this point when when Aquaman was a hundred percent greenlit to go into production as the next DC movie uh it was basically on the strength of Jason Momoa's character in justice league it was there was a toss-up and i and and i can i'll I'll come back to this as we go on in this podcast but when we did our test screenings when we did our, our our you know one of the questions on the surveys that we asked various sample audiences were rank the characters in the film rank the characters and wonder woman stood at the top aquaman and flash were roughly neck and neck down the stretch and it was more flash just because of his comic relief kind of geeky comic relief type of thing but women and men alike liked aquaman they liked jason momoa there was there was a lot of that that they had universal appeal to both men and women as being a marketable commodity and batman and superman fell way at the bottom of the list isn't that amazing to hear that's unbelievable that that's a thing yeah really yeah DC has been counting on Aquaman and Wonder Woman to keep them afloat while they figure out what to do with Superman and Batman. I, that's I that it, we are in, we are literally this is like Earth Z or whatever. <laughs> that is yeah, nuts. The bizarre world. So, so Neil, really quickly, like, what were your kind of just general impressions, your quick review of the movie before we kind of get into your your story and, and why you're here? Okay, well, good. First of all, and let me preface everything I'm going to say as as a precursing apology to all your listeners, because I have the by nature of my business, I am hypercritical of everything I see. I nitpick the hell out of everything. So that being said, to kind of answer all the things that Ryan said about uh, about this movie and everything. DC gave you, Ryan, the movie that they wanted you to see. In other words, they needed to have a popcorn movie. They needed a fun cotton candy matinee movie that was fun and pretty and upbeat and because of the backlash from the previous outings. So that's exactly the movie that they wanted you to see. So in that aspect, if you if you take it that at face value, they did their job. I feel like they succeeded. Uh, they 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 definitely kind of recouped uh, you know some some fan fan uh, some fans back from 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 losing people after the other ones. So 
my opinion of the movie itself. I mean, without getting, I thought it had, I thought it had a flimsy story. I thought that there were a lot of holes in the plot, and I think that it was. And, and again, I can, I can also kind of. There's plenty to say about how much movie there was and didn't need to be. And I can even go once we get into the behind the scenes stuff. I'll tell you why there, there, there was a lack of cuts made to the film. But overall. I thought it was definitely a marketed a marketed improvement from the previous outings, and that's not saying a whole lot. But it was exactly, you know, I mean, when they tapped James Wan to do it, it was not based on the strength of his uh, horror movie outings before that. It was because they wanted a Fast and Furious, which is what he just got done doing before that, and that's kind of what they wanted. So. I thought that they gave us a really, really good movie to kind of reinstill some fan faith in the franchise. Um, if I was going to nitpick, I would say I thought that they borrowed a little too much from the Thor and Loki concept from Marvel. I thought that it was that they, they went a little too almost note for note with some of that, uh, him being the, the two brothers kind of competing for the throne a little bit. And I thought, I thought King Orm was a little bit... At first, now, now, my my opinion has also evolved from having seen it multiple times in multiple iterations, and and stuff. Um, I thought that he originally, I thought he was a little bit one dimensional, almost boring, and I didn't necessarily believe that he really had a hatred for humanity, and I think he just wanted to take over the oceans, and he was using, but he didn't have a, he, I didn't find the sympathy card in him that say like a Killmonger had or something. You know, I wanted to have something a little bit, or even a Thanos. I mean, if you if you look at it that, I mean, there was a reason for him doing what he did. That you know, even people that hate him can see why he's doing it, kind of thing. Um, but after subsequent viewings, um, it could have been just Patrick Wilson's take on the character. Or it could have been just a lot of CGI going around him. I think that I, he became a little more sympathetic the more I saw it, and I did like his breakdown at the end when he sees his mom. So, spoiler for people that haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> uh, but and, and then finally, the last critique I would have would be, you know, I this, I they, you know, they they preface it in the opening prologue. Uh, Arthur's talking about being born of two worlds that were never meant to meet. So I kind of kept wanting the movie to end up being about the Atlanteans and the Earthling and the surfacers and where that was going to go and develop and how he would be the bridge to unite these two different worlds. And we didn't necessarily get that, or we didn't actually get that at all. He ended up, the whole battle ended up being for the oceans. But that being said, I know that that's where they're going to. So I'm going to give them a pass on that because there's obviously a sequel coming and whatnot. Um, but overall, again, if I, if I step aside my, my critical nature of being a market research analyst for the movie and helping them, you know, describing to the studio what works and what doesn't work and why it doesn't work and blah, blah, blah. I found it a very, very lighthearted, entertaining movie. I thought the fight sequences, especially the hand to hand fight sequences uh, were all fantastic. I thought that they created a couple of strong female characters that I really enjoyed uh, giving equal weight to the movie. And I, unlike Ryan, I, I now I can't see anybody else playing the role except Jason Momoa. That's where I fell. Uh, that's, that's where I fall on the whole thing. Where were you on the other movies, briefly? Like, where would you put them? Like, Ryan puts it near the top. Where would you put it? Uh, well, <laughs> again, the bar is set pretty low. So let's, you know, let's let's take that into account. If I was going to compare it in the DC universe, I would have it probably behind, just behind Wonder Woman. Um, Wonder Woman's third act was a mess, 
but I liked the universe that they created and I cared more for the characters in Wonder Woman all across the board than I did uh, for, for, for this one. But I would put it up there. Um, but again, the bar is pretty low. Now, if I was comparing this to, say, like some of the Marvel Universe movies, it would, you know, it would probably be middle of the road. That's fair enough. But I mean, hey, look, I, I, as I as I talked with my friend Laura in the first segment, like neither one of us can believe there's an Aquaman movie. True, true, it, very it's true. It's just it's a thing. And the fact that it's even halfway decent is like a miracle on top of a miracle. Yeah, so, I would I, I consider it better than halfway decent. Yeah, I actually, right. I, exactly. I, I definitely think they succeeded in making a character that is usually the butt of jokes. I mean, I had even going going completely off subject here. I I had I had written a spec script for a YouTube uh, um, short that I was going to do a long time ago about called Sad Aquaman, and it was going to be a joke about how you know every time the bat signal goes off, he goes running from a bar, hanging out because he's lonely and sad and depressed, and he runs to find the you know the burning house, and he realizes, oh, I can't go in there and then all this and like all these like sad pathetic memes kind of thing that you know aquaman was a joke so the fact that not only did they make the movie is one thing but the fact that it was successful and universally applauded across by the masses globally i mean this movie's going to break a billion dollars so it's i think you probably feel about this movie what i felt for ant-man you know, being one of the few people who liked Ant-Man before that movie and, you know, having to distance myself from it a little bit, I say, wow, there are a lot of problems with this story and, like, there's there's parts of this movie that are a mess and maybe David A. Gutierrez's criticisms of this movie, some of them are valid, but no. I, I still <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's not give them too much credit or any credit, um, but I still came away from Ant-Man like looking at little kids leaving that theater thinking Ant-Man was cool. And I was like, that's a, right. that's all I need. I was like, exactly. If, if kids yeah. dress as Ant-Man for Halloween now, I'm like, I, I win. I win <laughs> so, and I think that's probably where, where you're thinking for Aquaman. So. Yeah. Here's, yeah. here's, here's, I guess, a good way to sum up, uh, a good way to sum up kind of like where I'm at with the whole thing. And Ryan and I have discussed this ad nauseum in the past. You know, if I wanted to, I could nit, I could nitpick apart Empire Strikes Back. To, you know, and find all the holes in that movie, but it's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen in my life. I could do the same, you know. So, so that's where we're at. So, you know, sitting here, you know, finding holes, I could find a hole in every story of every movie I liked, and find dumb parts to it that you have to just suspend disbelief. But I found this movie thoroughly entertaining, and props to them for taking a brand and and that I just never thought that they could succeed in making a movie. Yeah. That's that's really what it is. I, I I you get carried away with it or you don't basically. And if yeah. it, if you get carried away with it, it doesn't matter all the flaws, all the others doesn't really, it just doesn't matter. And right. I, right. it worked for me. So well, all right. So so Neil, you've explained to people briefly what it is that you do. Like, why don't you explain to everybody what exactly that job entails and how it interacted with the movie? Like, what okay. did you? What how involved in the process are you? And at what point? Okay. Uh, good. So, so I'm okay. Let's start at the ba- with the basics. I'm an independent freelance market research analyst and focus group moderator. Uh, I currently have a non-exclusive uh, engagement with Warner Brothers and New Line Cinema, and now I've been tasked to do all the the DC. Uh, projects coming forward. So I came aboard about midway through Justice League in 2016 um, 
or uh, no, t- the beginning of 2017, I came aboard and, and started doing that. And then I've also done Aquaman as well. I, I've done Shazam, which I can't speak really much to, but uh, some of those other things under the worlds of DC banner. And I've got, you know, I've got my schedule of upcoming projects that we're doing. My job essentially is uh the studio will contact me and say that they want to recruit a select audience and it's always under a secret title, uh, but they want to get, uh, you know, 300 to 400 people in a theater to attend a free screening, um, knowing that it's not complete. It's a market research project and we're going to take it and show them the movie that they all have to sign vigorous non-disclosure agreements where they, you know, we check IDs and we get their personal info and we get their Twitter handle and everything. We, they keep it under lock and key security is ridiculously tight, but then we show it to the movies and then uh, get their feedback back. And then the, the studio will usually section it off. They'll, they'll determine how they want to market it. Usually, for example, a, a, a comic book kind of project like this, they may say they want us to score the movie in four different quadrants, meaning uh, like young males, older males, young females, older females, and then they'll kind of they'll determine the mid the the, the midpoint dependent on you know it could be you know up to tw- younger's could be up to twenty five, older's could be twenty five and over or something. It depends on every screening is absolutely different depending on where they think it's going to go. Um, so then, so then we do that, and then uh, we collect the questionnaires, and then I will handpick a select, random, completely random sampling of the audience, and I'm given a list of questions ahead of time that they want to focus on, and then I will conduct a focus group with about 20 people, and get into more detail, get into a, a I'll moderate a discussion about what their favorite scenes were, what characters they liked, what did, what didn't they like, how did they feel about pacing, how did they feel about the beginning versus the end, was there anything that they were confused about, and on and on and on so there's a lot of that and then my job then or at the end of it at the end of the day i take uh, all the actual written responses go through them and create a report along with the audio recording of my focus group and then come back to the studio with a presentation and basically tell them this is where your movie's lacking this is where your movie is succeeding this is what they want more of this is what they want less of blah 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 so essentially that's that's basically what i do and then the studio Oftentimes, uh, we'll take that information and go back to the creative team and recut the movie or reshape it. And then we'll do another screening a month down the road and kind of go through the same process over and over again. And sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. It's, you know, I've, in, in the nature of my business, there's been plenty of near fist fights at screenings between the, the studio brass versus the creators. So you've got the marketing team, which is with the executives in the studio, and then you've got the creative team, which is the filmmakers, the writers, the director, the, the producers. And they're very often at odds. <laughs> and so it's my job. My job is often to not mediate between the two. And, and at the same time, too, I, I always have to be very, very – and Ryan and I have talked about this, too uh, – I have always have to separate my personal opinions from it because that's not what I'm hired to do. So it's, it, I, I have to go into it like a robot, and my job is just to present data, just to present pure analytical data and say, this is what works, this is what doesn't work. They don't ask me for my opinion. They don't want me to say, you know, if you did this, they, you know, <laughs> which and it's hard and it's hard because I'm a creative person, too. And, I'm, you know, <laughs> this is I want to say I can help you make your movie better. But that's that's not my job. So I just give them the raw data. And then the funny thing is, even when I do that, 
when the movie fails or doesn't do what they want, they always come back and yell at me anyway. (laughs) (laughs) What are they now? What are they yelling at you for? Like that you rounded up the wrong bunch of idiots or like what? That's, that's usually one of the most common things is that they were unhappy with the audience that I gave them or they were, you know, they wanted, uh, if it didn't test well in a certain demographic, they'll say, well, the theater that we chose to book and, and the venue was, you know, we, we shouldn't have chose that theater. Or why did we do a screening on the night of the NBA finals when they, we couldn't get teenage boys there and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And I'm, you know, I just have to sit there and take it and bend over and say, thank you, sir. May I have another? Cause that's, that's kind of, that's kind of about it. I mean, it's, I've been, and Ryan knows this going back to like Blade Runner 2049 there. I've, I've, I've been, in rooms before just sweating bullets because I'm being screamed at for stuff that I had nothing to do with, but somebody's going to lose their job and they want to point the finger at somebody. So there's, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely, it's, it's stressful. And again, it's, it's kind of ironic because I have, I've learned to have pretty thick skin about the whole thing overall, because nine times out of 10, 99 times out of a hundred, I'm giving them exactly what they wanted to find out. And if it's not what they want to hear, kill the messenger. So that's the job. Oh, I, I have so many, I have so many questions about this line of work, but that's going to have to be a separate episode or something. Right? Fair enough. Fair enough, because I can go on forever. Yeah, Rob, the story about the Blade Runner twenty forty nine, like that he just alluded to, I have heard that story. That would be, uh, that's like a behind the scenes, like three hour documentary experience. I, I, you know, I, I have a movie show here on the network, so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do that at some other time. But but okay, so let's. I mean, you you we talked off air a little bit about you feel like before we even get into Aquaman, you need to give it a little bit of context in terms of Justice League and what what Zack Snyder had been setting up and how that affected what we ended up seeing on the screen. So, can you give just a brief sort of context for for I mean, obviously, certain choices were handed to James Wan, including Jason Momoa. Yeah. He didn't have that choice. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I will definitely I, – I, I, again, I'm going to – I'll keep it brief. I mean, I'll just kind of give you like the nuts and bolts version of a little bit because I don't want to devolve this conversation too much into the other films. But, yeah, there was, there was a much – let's just say this. There was a far, far-reaching universe that was – a lot more, a lot more similar to Marvel's plan for the DC project than most people realize. And Snyder was very much given a, a raw deal when they chose to pull him out and remove him from the project because there were a lot of things in place um, going forward. There, you know, and Aquaman, like for example, I mean, there's things that now are kind of common knowledge. You know, Aquaman saved Clark Kent from the oil rig in Man of Steel. That's now common knowledge. People know that. And then there were some things from uh, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, that never came to fruition. And there was a lot left out. And I'll, I'll get to Aquaman in a second. I'm just kind of giving everybody like the broad strokes of how different this was. The, the Snyder's overall plan was uh, it was like a five or six movie arc. It was going to be, it was going to be uh, Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman, uh, Justice League, uh, Man of Steel two, and then a two part Justice League th- two and three. Essentially, um, was where they were going to go, and it was more or less supposed to tell the arc of Superman. There was supposed to be this whole idea where Superman at the beginning was a reluctant, apathetic hero, a man that didn't know if he belonged on this earth, didn't know how much he wanted to save people, and at the time that that 
Dawn of Justice came out, one of the biggest criticisms everybody had was Superman is too similar to Batman. There's no contrast. They're both these morbid, brooding characters that you, that are kind of unlikable. And that's the last taste in the mouth that everybody kind of has of Zack Snyder's version because then he got pulled after Justice League. Whereas had he been able to play out his whole story, eventually we would have seen the arc where Superman does become the hero, Boy Scout, all-American, deputized by the president kind of thing where this, you know, we're, we're never going to get to see that. So let's then bring this back to the Aquaman story. So, you know, this kind of started a little bit in Justice League. Now, Zack... And, and I'm speaking, everything I say, I, you know, if there's certain things I'm not at liberty to divulge, I, I simply won't. The things I'm going to talk about, I am privy to by being in the room and having firsthand knowledge of. So I, I can tell you these things are, are true. The, the idea to do the Justice League movie was WB's constant playing catch up to Marvel. Zack Snyder never wanted to release the Justice League movie that early in the universe. He didn't want it. He wanted everybody to have their own standalone films, have their backstories, and follow the same model as as Marvel. WB didn't want to do that. They wanted they wanted to play catch up as fast as possible, and they wanted to get the the team out there. So they kind of scrambled together, and so that's why that all these things, these casting choices like Momoa and all this stuff. Then they got their they got their set pieces and whatnot. Um, or their introductions, so to speak. So going, so so to kind of come full circle, then. So what James Wan inherited here was basically uh, Snyder's version of the character, and where he was going to go with it. The backstory was already there. There were certain things already pre-written. Um, you know, there were things left out, and like for for example, in Dawn of Justice, there was a sequence where Aquaman saves uh, a fisherman. And then goes down to Atlantis to find to defend the mother box against Steppenwolf. All these things were very, very confusing because so much was cut out of that movie. What you didn't see was the attack on the fisherman's boat was by Darkseid's parademons, and Aquaman saved it. And that's when he realized Steppenwolf was coming to get the mother box, and then he went down to protect it. And then there was a whole other sequence where Volko explains to him that. This isn't even the mother box that Aquaman defended wasn't even in Atlantis. It was in a whole nother part that and, and Volko has a line where he says, there's so much you don't know and so much you haven't seen. Now, the reason I mention that is because it's very confusing for a lot of people that just saw Aquaman when he goes with Mira down and everybody's like, wow, it looks like he's this is the first time he's ever seen it. And they're like, he was already here. He was just here in the last movie. So, I, you know, those kind of things got very, very confusing. And. When you hear people talk about Joss Whedon then came in and kind of cleaned up the movie and, uh, you know, did some reshoots and blah, blah, blah. That's not entirely accurate. Basically, he reshot about at least 50 percent of the movie. 50 percent of Justice League was completely redone, gutted, scrapped a whole. I mean, Darkseid was in it. Darkseid was the villain. Ares from Wonder Woman was in it. He was cut out. Uh, there were more, uh, cyborg had a, had a nightmare sequence with a vision when he plugged into the, 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 uh, the Kryptonian ship before they saved Clark Kent, that whole sequence was cut out. There was so much that, and the whole Russian family thing was all Joss Whedon. And then on top of that, what Whedon kind of brought in, which I'm, I'm the reason I'm referencing this is because James Wan had to completely do away with. So we'll get to that in a second, but 
Joss Whedon came in and kind of tried to, he, he just, he added some bad jokes. You know, he did a lot to kind of kind of beef up a little bit of the, the teenage boy sexual humor with innuendos like flash falling and wonder woman's cleavage and, uh, Lois Lane and, and Martha Kent talking about her being thirsty. Oops. I mean, hungry, that whole thing. And then the, the lasso sequence with uh, wonder woman putting the lasso around Aquaman. Arthur, where he starts talking about, oh, ooh, wow, wow, and he like eyes her up and down and oogles her and all this stuff. Those were all jokes that were just, they missed the mark by Joss Whedon and uh, kind of fell flat and a lot of people were turned off by it. So James Wan had to really kind of course correct away from that because then we could have gotten a whole movie about Aquaman just basically fawning over Mira the whole time and making all kinds of dirty jokes and things like that. And they had to really kind of get away from that, which is all what Joss Whedon had done. So Snyder had a little bit more of an influence on, on Aquaman. He, he actually, James Wan was showing Zack Snyder against the studio's wishes. James Wan was showing Snyder cuts of the movie and early test screens and storyboards to kind of make sure that they're on the same page with what he originally wanted. And Snyder gave him his blessing of approval and liked everything that he did and kind of brought it back to the character that he wanted it to be all along. Um, and I say these things kind of, it's kind of bittersweet for me to even talk about this because as Ryan will know, I have an actual professional working relationship with Joss Whedon. Uh, he, he cast me and directed me on a, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer years, years, years ago. So when I met him at the screenings and we talked and all this stuff, it was like, it was like great to see him again. And then going through this process, uh, it's kind of, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, with a heavy heart, I say that he really, really ruined, ruined that movie. So that's about everything. I know this is I've probably gone on much longer than you wanted, but that's probably all to give you the backstory, the flesh and bones of what happened with Justice League, leading us now to James Wan's version of Aquaman. So kind of like to, to direct this, like, so when did you start screening Aquaman or like when did that process begin? Uh, okay, I did. Let's see. I I did four of them throughout the course of 20, 2018. I think the earliest one we did, I want to say, I want to say was February. I don't have the dates in front of me, but they're they're also common. They've already leaked online, so people know when they were. Even though we tried to keep them all secret, I want to say I did one in in February, one in April, and then two kind of back to back right around early fall as it was close to completion and, and the nature of the screenings too, it, it was kind of interesting because, you know, from the, from the, the earliest one we did when the movie was still almost a year out, it was, uh, it, I mean, there were maybe, maybe 10% of the movie was visually rendered with CGI. I mean, 10%. We're talking about almost every sequence had the actors hanging from ropes and cables and kind of <laughs> against a green screen and, and stuff. And, and the funny thing is what you see in the movie with the flowing hair and the water and all the stuff, every single actor had their hair in a ponytail and all the hair was CGI'd in and all the water sequences were. So uh, it was, uh, so, so, and the reason I tell you, I mean, obviously CGI takes a long time and all this stuff. I'm not, I don't want to get too much into how, how bare bones the movie was, but this was when we were kind of testing a little bit more working on their characters. Cause that's all they had. It was more, they were flushing out the script itself. And this is uh, Ryan. It's a good, it's a, it's a good, I'm glad you brought that up because in these early ones before 
before they got very, very effects heavy. Uh, you know, it was interesting that one of the conversations that I was privy to after a screening was that they wanted, um, they kind of knew what they had with Jason Momoa. They knew that he's a charismatic guy. He's naturally likable and kind of in the same way that Schwarzenegger was in the eighties, I guess. I mean, it, you know, for, for a big, dumb goofball muscle head, you know, he, he, there's something so redeeming about him and likable. But one of the comments was they wanted more Iron Man in him. That was an actual quote. So it was funny that they wanted to give him more wit, a little bit more of a more, more, more the under his breath kind of like snarky, like, yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit more of a dry sense of humor, but kind of, kind of build him up a little bit because in the early versions of the movie that I did, there wasn't a whole lot of comedy. There, there really wasn't. There was a lot of, uh, you know, and when you're watching a movie that's that's got no effects yet, so you're just watching like a behind the scenes documentary kind of thing, trying to follow it without the humor in there and without the character development, uh, it was it 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 need it had to come a long way, and they did. So it was neat seeing as the process went on how they kind of punched up uh, Momoa's dialogue a little bit and gave him some more of the funny lines, like you know the things like. Uh, in the desert when he says, well, I could have just peed on it. You know, those, those type of, (laughs) those kind of lines didn't, they weren't, they weren't in the script early on. So they, they wanted, they wanted it to be a little more humor, a little more lighthearted humor. And they thought that Iron Man was a a mirror for what they were trying to go for. As they were testing it, did you get the sense that Warner brothers was worried about Aquaman as a character? Yes. That was their concern. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll even, this is a, this is a really interesting tidbit too. So, um, so, one of the biggest critiques that I had personally, which I was never able to voice, but with the audiences that had that echoed my sentiments, were that the movie was way too long. It was too convoluted. And that came on early. And we expected early on, I expected in in April that the movie coming in at you know, three hours long, obviously it had a lot to be cut. We all kind of knew that. And we just figured that as they went on, they would flush out the characters, get the CGI rendered, lock the picture closer to the two hour mark that Warner brothers mandated with justice league. Remember that was a, they, they mandated it could not go over two hours. So we figured that was going to be the same thing. And apparently because that all blew up in their face, they gave James Wan a little bit more freedom with this. However, what was interesting about this was there was so much involved in this movie and everybody from the earliest test screenings, the reaction to the black Manta character was so strong, almost hero. Like they really kind of, uh, James Wan kept fighting against having that much black Manta in the movie. He kept saying, I shot all this stuff. This stuff is all prelude to the next movie we're going to do. And the response from Warner Brothers was at this stage of the game. Again, remember, we're talking almost a year ago. At this stage of the game, the Warner Brothers' comment was, we don't know if we're going to get to do a sequel. We have no right. idea. You know, we don't know. So throw everything in there. Throw, throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. And then once the movie – and I would say probably around the summer, we knew that we had a hit. I mean, it was, it was obvious from audience reaction that this movie was going to do well. Now, we didn't know it was going to be a billion-dollar – franchise we didn't know if it would exceed wonder woman but we knew that they had finally we they had finally kind of got back in the good graces of people because this movie was going to do well but the subject kept coming up in my focus groups that they were people were saying we don't understand why black manta is so predominantly uh so heavy-handed in this film they just kind of felt like this save this for another movie and i never will forget 
the post focus group conversation with Jeff Johns and James Wan and me and Toby Emmerich and, and all the, the, the executives and, and Jeff Johns told James Wan, you cannot cut a single frame of black Manta. I love him. Keep him in, figure out some other way to shorten it. We're not cutting any of black Manta. And that was, that was the direction from Jeff Johns to James, James Wan. So there you go. And the funny thing is now having seen the final project and everything, I, I, I love black Manta. I thought his character development was great. It did not need to be in this movie. So there you go. And that, and I mean, I I knew that. I mean, you had told me only as much as like that. There were complaints about the length of the movie yeah. and like certain things. So maybe I had that in my mind, but that was one of my sort of complaints about this movie when I watched it. I kept thinking, I love these Black Manta scenes, but they could be so easily removed from the movie and the plot wouldn't change. Absolutely. And ultimately, like like my big thing like with this was, and Rob, I don't even know if I, I mentioned this to you. Maybe I didn't, but I, I like. I think there was enough in this movie that they could have done almost a trilogy, an Aquaman trilogy, just with the stuff in this movie. And you could have had Black Manta for the sequel, or the first movie could have just been Arthur and Black Manta going out and save the Atlantis reveal for the sequel. But I like, like, they, well, they just here's, they here's, so much like story into the and, and like how you were talking about, like, they didn't think they were going to get a sequel. I think that really shows in the fact that, I mean, they got crab people in this movie. And <laughs> they got everything. It's everything but the kitchen sink was, in this movie. Again, yeah. that was like one of my little like one of my actual like problems that that knocked the grade down a little bit was the the movie. The one thing that I was waiting for in this movie was the hero shot of Aquaman leading an army of sea life, an army of dolphins and sharks mm-hmm. and sea turtles and and octopuses and stuff like that. And I wanted to see that moment. And we finally get that at the end. But by that time, we have also we've already seen like armies riding domesticated sharks and crab <laughs> people in the trench. So I was like, the spectacle of what of what Aquaman is doing commanding that life is kind of a little bit muted. So yeah, it's, it's frustrating knowing that like the, these concerns were voiced way back in the summer by yeah. the group and like. Yeah. And again, that kind of comes back to my thinking of like if if Warner Brothers just had a little bit more confidence in this idea. They might have re- restructured these things, right? Well, and let me let me jump right back in really quick too, Ryan. To answer your specific question about this movie, this movie could never have been just about the Black Manta storyline. This always had to be about Orm because there was a cut scene at the end of Justice League. Zack Snyder's ending for Justice League was Volko and Mira coming to get Aquaman to tell him about his brother. Like this was all shot and set up. And there's there you can if you even look, you can even find like leaked storyboard images and footage that was shot where the end of the movie was them saying basically there's a problem at home you got to come with us and that was all set up to that so going you know going forward now could since it was cut out could they have changed things yeah but i think by the time that this movie was starting to be developed and the story was being flushed out i think they were still kind of reeling from justice league anyway and i think honestly i mean and and this is my opinion is completely you know, separate from the, the the data that I gave the studio, the raw data from audience responses was Black Manta was great, but we don't need him. We don't need that much. Save it. Everybody said, save it. You know, this we, it, you know, early on in the screening process or, you know, long before the movie was locked, they they knew that they had enough. They had a good movie here. I mean, somebody in the executive studio, including my conversations with people were you've got a hit here. You know, you cut the movie down, 
You could cut 20 to 30 minutes out, limit the Black Manta sequences, save them for another movie. You're going to do a sequel. I'm, I, I, to be honest, I'm reeling at the little factoid you dropped earlier that Jeff Johns was pushing James Wan around. Like, what, <laughs> yeah. what universe am I living in that a guy from the world of comic books is telling a movie director what's what? Like, hey, yeah. Jeff, Rob, Jeff, Je- Jeff Johns must give good meeting, man. He must just be, <laughs> well, he's, 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 a, he's a heavy hitter in some of these meetings. He's I know he is. He's got hey, Toby Emmerich's here. So, hey, Jeff wow. Johns started off as a, as a PA for Rob's best friend dick donner so i know i know i'm just just like that just was amazing to me to hear that that jeff johns is like telling james wan you know it's like well who who's directed movies here pal Uh, i'm the one who's directed movies not you but that's astounding i mean i do you i and maybe you can't answer this neil because this is not something that's probably like your purview although you have you probably have some some ideas of like what i guess like once Justice League had sort of flopped, mm-hmm. Aquaman was already moving. I mean, like, they wouldn't have had any – they kind of had no choice to make this movie because what else were they going to do? I mean, Cyborg? I mean, who would have cared at that point? Well, correct. Yeah, this is this was kind of the, – the wheels were already moving forward on this one, and it was kind of like they were in no man's land. They were well, very uh, much in no man's land. Because I'll even – if I can even – I'll let me back up for a second. The – ironically, I think – had they had the chance to go with the the information that my audiences and my focus groups were giving the studio at the end of Justice League, right before the movie came out, one would have thought there was far more interest in a Flash movie before Aquaman. There was way more interest by by audience reactions to see a Flash movie. But Aquaman was already being pushed forward. And at that point, Warner Brothers didn't know. I mean, this is right around the time, too, that there was upheaval and they were Walter Hamada hadn't been promoted yet to to the D.C. president. Like there was all kinds of stuff where they didn't know what the hell they were going to do. They scrapped every Zack Snyder idea. They didn't know if they were going to do any more movies. Ben Affleck wanted out of Batman. So they were I mean, they were in flux. They almost had their whole plan for the next five, ten years is gone. So they basically said, well. Aquaman is the only story that's roughly close to being finished. That's what we got to go with. We got to hang our hats on that because I, and I, I, I'm telling you, I mean, at the end of uh, two years ago in, in Christmas or what? No, I guess it was a year ago. Uh, Christmas last year when justice league came out, if they had a chance to go back in time, knowing what, what the audience were reacting, if they didn't have so much committed to Aquaman, I guarantee you flash would have been the next movie. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Flash has got a lot more. I mean, he's like he's a popular TV show, mm-hmm. and he doesn't he doesn't come pre sold as the kind of jokey character. So I could that makes a lot of sense. But that's astounding. I mean, all of that is. I mean, it's not it's not surprising knowing what I know about it. But it is like, do you happen to know how Aquaman even got into this live action world? I mean, with the, at some point somebody that had, had to, to push Jeff him. Johns. That had to be Jeff Johns's idea. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah I mean, I mean, that, that wouldn't surprise me if, like, even back then, like when when Zack Snyder was approaching it, if they gave him a list of which characters they had to use, because because the fact that they included Cyborg, that's all Jeff Johns, you know that is, yes, right? Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, because he was just a teen titan for a while. Yeah. I mean, it was it was Jeff Johns is with the the fifty two that kind of turned everything. That this, yeah. this this was all his. He was the architect of this whole thing, including including being the reason that they went forward with an Aquaman as a part of the Justice League as opposed to a Green Lantern because Zack Snyder had far more 
plan for well i mean there was stuff that was shot for you know if i if i want to divulge again back to the justice league stuff um First of all, Justice League was supposed to open. Zack Snyder's movie opened with the flashback of the the apocalyptic war with the, you know, which it, it kind of takes place in the middle of the movie, I think, in flashback when Wonder Woman's right, describing. Right. But originally that was the opening. And there was uh, there, dark, there was a young dark side there and Ares was in that scene and, and – uh, uh, there were multiple Green Lanterns, and they set the stage for the Green Lantern Corps uh, all all back then. And these things were going to come out then. Eventually, you know, the team was going to build in in Justice Leagues two and three. That was all part of the plan. And and as you know, even little tiny things like, you know, there was always confusion about why Bruce Wayne lives at a lake house and not in the not in his his dilapidated manner and it was because early on that was supposed to be that was always going to be the hall of justice that was the plan Zack snyder's plan from the outset was you know he never returned back home after his after his parents killed and just let the house go to rot and then someday that would be revealed as the hall of justice so all these kind of things were there were there was a lot in play that jeff johns kind of squashed <laughs> wow oh wow um when yeah, you were when they before i, I like it sounds like you know for sure whether or not there is a Snyder cut. <laughs> oh dear God! Oh no! Oh God! <laughs> Don't even please. I I can ask ask me that question another way. <laughs> do you know definitively if there is a Snyder cut? Yes or no? I do know definitively if there is one. <laughs> Don't wait for the translation. Answer me now. Uh, okay. All right. Please, let's not even go down that road. Because soon enough, we'll be getting tweets from people saying, metal doesn't burn at that temperature. Um, but, okay. Let, dialing back to Aquaman a little bit. Like, was sure. there any parts of the movie that as were being tested that were consistently unpopular? Was there any something that every group was like, no, this part I'm not as fan, not as big um, yeah, good question. Good question. I'm trying to think of some of the cut scenes. Um, there was a, there was one scene that was considered too gory to get it a, a the the rating that it had. There was a there was a cut scene where uh, when Aquaman first gets brought, to, he's him and Mira are caught by. Uh, with Volko looking at the, the the plans for the Trident, and so he gets imprisoned, and then long before, right or right around the time that he's supposed to then go into the battle for uh, in the in the Ring of Fire, there was a whole there was a prison break sequence that where he he, he <laughs> to to be okay as as graphic as I can as honest as I can make this, um, so he gets he, he attacks a couple of shark guards, creates a, a prison breakout sequence, and then there's a piranha feeding frenzy that where there it just basically a pool of blood and the clouds of blood in the ocean that looked very much like a, a jaws remnant that sequence uh was first of all it was just one more action set piece that was probably in the movie was too convoluted with all these big action set pieces too and again ryan I, you're gonna love the fact that this was cut out because the sequence started with an explosion behind people 
which there was about 10 of those. 10 of those. Yes, I forgot. I, I texted every it, single was, transition. Every, every time there was a transition, like every time characters got comfortable or they were finished explaining something, the wall behind the characters exploded. Yep. It happened like five and, times. And, in the and, well, this this started the exact same way. <laughs> <laughs> but it was this was one this was one interesting piece that got cut out because the in on the whole, I mean, it wasn't necessary, but it was kind of a cool action sequence. It was a different action sequence than than the than and the fist fighting and stuff like that, but that was that was cut because audiences reacted and said like they they were worried about it being you know about being able to bring kids. They thought it would change the rating of the film. I, I, again, this is so much information to, to parse. I, I really need time to kind of like digest <laughs> all of this. I mean, like what the thing the thing that I liked the most about the movie, and this was my main comment when I saw it, uh, was that I said it's a hundred and ten percent an Aquaman movie. James yep. Wan just dives into the world. I don't want to use all these water metaphors, but I can't help it. <laughs> he dives into the world, and he just doesn't let – he doesn't look back. I mean, get, you know, Orm calls himself Ocean Master because why not? Black right, man has right. a giant – black man has a giant orb head because why not? And was there anything that people – like, did you get the sense that people were okay with that? People were just along for the ride? They weren't like, what is all this? Or they just were like, no, okay, this is the world. That's fine, and let's go with it. No, you know, honestly, that's a it's a fair question, and I think from pretty much from the outset, from the very first screening we did, because I always, first of all, you got, I got, you got to understand, I get the luxury of being able to go down in front of a in front of the auditorium and introduce the movie and what they're going to see. So for a moment, for a brief second in time, I'm the biggest celebrity on earth because I say, ladies and gentlemen, th- thank you. Uh, you're the first audience to see. Aquaman, and of course, everybody's like, ah! So it's almost like I made the movie. So, so for you know, but I would I would say for pretty much early on, people kind of caught it and ran with it and liked it, and the reactions were well and very very few. And we, here's one of one of the screenings we did, and this is interesting. Going back to kind of what Ryan's problem with Momoa was, one of the screenings that we did, uh, they wanted us to kind of separate the audience by fandom. And what I mean is one of the questions on the questionnaire was, were you a fan of Aquaman from the comic books before this movie? And, and were you not a fan of Aquaman? And they wanted oh, no, to know they were comics gating it, <laughs> but they wanted to, but they wanted to see how it, if it played differently. In other words, they wanted to know, did you have to be a fan of Aquaman to like this movie or not? And if you were a fan of Aquaman going in, did this movie, you know, did it, were your expectations lower? Did it not do as well because you didn't get the Aquaman you grew up with or something along those lines. And honestly, I can say pretty much across the board, people, people reacted well to this movie, whether you were a fan of Aquaman or not. Now I will say that by far the vast majority of the audiences that we were showing this for, um, probably, you know, didn't have a problem with Momoa being in it. I mean, I don't recall, Maybe one or two people out of a hundred in my focus groups uh, throughout the course of the year saying that, you know, well, this is, you know, this kind of surprised me because he doesn't look like where he wasn't a blonde haired guy, but you know, that kind of stuff. And um, so, so I, I, you know, that I think people just kind of, to answer your question, they just kind of went with it and ran with it. And there was also something that came up a little bit in one of the focus groups too, which uh, James Wan did end up backing me up on. Uh, which he said that the the look of Patrick Wilson was very very much supposed to be kind of mirror the the Aquaman that everybody sure, knew and loved. Sure, that was yeah. that was intentional to to kind of go that route. So 
So, yeah, but, it, you know, I, I don't think there, there were very few people that walked out of any of our test screenings and said something like, wow, that's, you know, that's not really what we were hoping to see. How do you find these people? I mean, like, do you when you when you go up to them, do you tell them what they're about to see? Do you give them the genre? I mean, how do you know that? If, well, if, if, yeah. if you go to, to average person and you say, "Would you like to see an advanced screening of a free movie?" I think ninety nine people out of a hundred would say, "Yeah," but you then you might be showing somebody. I mean, you might get my mom who couldn't yeah. sit through an Aquaman movie if you paid her. You know, I mean, so what, yeah. What no, we... the recruiting process is a little bit more involved than that. Um, it's we first of all the the companies that I work with, the the audience recruitment companies, which are separate from me. Uh, they they have a vast of a vast and vast deep database of people that attend free things. So they've got, they've just got a ton of people. And then of course there's the, 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 you know, the grassroots people that stand outside theaters with flyers and say, Hey, do you want to go see a free movie and stuff? Now for every screening that we do, uh, the studio will give us parameters of what they want. Like for example, they wouldn't, we wouldn't stand outside um, uh, a movie like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something like a cocoon or something and catch a bunch of elderly people walking out and say, Hey, want to go see this movie? You know, they're not going to market it to them. So, so they're, you know, they're, they're kind of choosy about the parameters that they give us. But you know, with each time we did this, they're very, very particular about not giving uh, certain things away because these screenings that we do, and all, all the, 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 the there's ton that people want to crash them. I mean, everybody in the world wants to crash it and then blog about it and release all these. Stuff. So no matter what kind of NDAs we make them sign, people get fake names and stuff. So we always we're very very strict about that. But but uh, you know this movie was tested under about four or five different names. Um, it, they even lied about which studio was releasing it so that people didn't think it was WB and they would do like certain things. And then basically what they just give them is they'll, they'll give them a very, very brief genre or a very, very brief synopsis, uh, like action adventure, you know, um, so kind of thing. They'll kind of give very, very brief info about it, but then they'll have a couple of, uh, if you liked blah, 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 blah. You might like that, you know, kind of thing. So they'll give it some, they'll, they'll, they'll add some color to it and say like, you know, but without giving too much away either. Like they, they couldn't say if you like justice league, you might like this, you know, they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't do that because then everybody's going to know what it is. So, so, they, but, and then, and then ideally, you know, long, long story short, ideally in theory between the, the grassroots marketing of, of our people in the field and then the, the online database email blast that we'll send out, we may get like 1500 to 2000 respondents saying they're going to come. And then what, if it's a 400 seat auditorium, then my job will be to kind of cull through them and eliminate a lot of the people that, you know, that we don't want, or just kind of narrow it down to the, the, the demographics they want. And then on top of that, then we have some pre-screening questionnaire questions in line. Like for example, they wanted one, you know, they wanted to make sure nobody had seen uh, justice league or man of steel or something for one of the screenings. They wanted no fans of DC at all. So one huh, of the things, not hard to find. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But we did have to walk up and down the line and, you know, kind of pre-interview people and stuff and, and say like, so wh hey, what was the last movie you saw in a theater? What'd you think? Okay. Hey, you know, did you see justice league when that came out? And if somebody was like, yeah, Oh my God, I loved it. I'd be like, Oh, interesting. Cool. Cool. Do me a favor. Come with me. And I'd take them, step them <laughs> out of line and I'd say, okay, here's free tickets to something else. 
go away. <laughs> stuff. Oh my god! So, they were they were taken behind the theater and shot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then it's funny too because then you always get these people that are like, "So wait a minute, wait a minute. You can tell me now because I'm not getting in. Is it Aquaman?" And I'd say, "I'll be happy to tell you in December." <laughs> wow, Neil, I, I, I have one question. <laughs> I don't know if you can even answer this one, but sort of anecdotally, can you tell us what the audience immediate reaction was when you told them they were going to see Shazam for the first time? Uh, yeah, I actually can. They all got mad because it wasn't Aquaman. <laughs> oh my God. No, it honestly, that was the funniest thing because there was a lot, it was, we were on the WB lot at a private screening room and this was probably, Oh God, September. No, maybe even earlier, maybe uh, maybe August, but the next movie on the slate was Aquaman. So we get all these people together to see a movie on the Warner Brothers lot, and it's an action adventure, blah blah blah, all these other things. You get a whole room full of people thinking they're seeing Aquaman, and I, I go down and I go. You got to remember too, the entire executive team is behind me or, or behind the the audience, all standing in the back. All the producers, writers, directors. Uh, sometimes the cast shows up, and the studio, and all this stuff. And I go down and I go, "You are the first, the very first test audience to see the movie Shazam." And it's like pin drop. And then people are going, "Huh?" And I'm like, "The new DC Worlds of DC movie." And there's, "Oh, okay, okay." Golf clap. So it was. That was. That was, that was one of the more interesting ones where then I kind of had to do a little like – I had to like stretch, like do like a, like a stand-up comedian that's trying to work for a dead audience. I'm like, <laughs> come on, guys. I didn't hear you. <laughs> Stop. Wow. Ooh, I, oh, oh um, the, the, the one – you said something a little while back and I wanted to go back to that and we, we, we moved off it. And I, before we end, before we wrap this up, I really want to ask you, you mentioned that if I understood you correctly, that you thought that the, that the, the, the first version that, that everybody saw was sort of like a three-hour cut. Is that right? Yeah. Did yeah. I, okay. Now, clearly they were never going to release a three-hour Aquaman movie. That was just never going to happen. Correct. So is the, is the idea there to sort of show the audience pretty much everything and let them – not to let them. That's the wrong phrase. But like show them everything and then just see what they respond to and then, then, then you know what to kind of whittle down to? Yes and no. That's, that's – it's – that's a good question. It's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of see. It's a little bit to see how the audience reacts to certain things, but it's also the first time that the studio executives get to see what's been shot, what 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 James Wan's been working on in his mad scientist lab kind of thing. It's the first time they get to see it. So a lot of times, the audience is more or less just to give it some energy in the room. So wow. that that doesn't okay. necessarily mean that. You know, if the audience doesn't laugh at this one point, then they're cutting the joke. That does, you know, sometimes it does, but in this case, a lot. Uh, that three-hour cut was kind of just so that everybody at Warner Brothers could kind of see what's happening and feel and watch it with an audience and kind of, you know, kind of get involved. So because what they've been spending their money on. Yeah, and audience energy, audience energy is contagious, whether it's good or bad. It's always contagious. So, you know, one of those things, when the movie works and people are laughing and comedy is good, then all of a sudden the executives are happy. They're laughing. They're in the back doing the same thing. And so, so it was, yeah, it's a good question. It's a little bit of both. I think the earliest cuts, though, were just to kind of, they were, I mean, it almost, I, I truly believe that that almost didn't matter if there was anybody in the audience at all because I kind of feel like, 
James Wan was showing everybody the whole thing that he's got, everything he shot, the whole giant overarching story. And then they were going to kind of say, okay, we don't need this. We don't need that. This is going to take too long. Let's get to this faster. Those kind of decisions were going to be made regardless of what the audience thought. Did you get the sense that the version that we all finally saw is essentially James Wan's version? Like that's the movie he wanted to make? Uh, Close close okay. i think i think i kind of already alluded to it a little bit i think that he wanted a shorter um more um a slicker movie if that makes any sense i think he didn't the you know one of the things because and i can say this because i when i present the the information when i do the analysis of post screening i'm talking to uh, a couple of producers, the post-editing department, James Wan himself, uh, the studio executives like Toby and Jeff Johnson's there and all these people. And so I'm giving them kind of, I'm giving them my report, so to speak. And every time I kind of reference the length and the pacing, and including the pacing in the, the, the whole the whole, the whole desert sequence and how Aquaman's out of water for almost an hour of the movie, uh, you know, that there's, you know, every time I kind of said that that seemed to drag and the audience was like, okay, let's get him back in the water. We, you know, that kind of thing. He seemed, James Wan kind of always seemed to be the one nodding his head in agreement. So I, I always got the sense that this was, you know, everything that it was more Jeff Johns's movie than James Wan's. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, so we probably, won't ever have a wan cut of the movie because the wan cut would be shorter it would be shorter it would be shorter now the funny thing is that being said though they've they've almost almost guaranteed locked him up for the sequel too though i think they're gonna want him to do the other one maybe it's because he's he plays ball <laughs> yeah you know i don't know but it was uh it, you know i think everybody across the board is happy so it's 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 this wasn't this wasn't a divisive version of the movie that came out you know i've i've had movies before where uh, you know they're at odds and people hate the version that's out and they and you know that kind of thing this wasn't that case at all i just feel like james wan would have preferred to keep a lot of his black manta stuff for the next film i feel like he almost gave too much and that was that's the sense i got i mean i we were wondering in the in the first half of the show about would they when if they do a sequel are they going to do two villains because they always have to make them bigger you know they never streamline these sequels they always get bigger and so you can't just have black mana as the villain in the next movie it's got to be black mana and you know then it becomes tricky because Aquaman <laughs> doesn't have a rogues gallery to draw upon all that much but nevertheless, yeah. I mean, <laughs> right you know. right well you know who knows maybe they could have his pet octopus topo playing drums again in the next one turn back i would watch they would definitely watch 30 minutes of that if they had that so I, well i mean I, we've already been talking for over an hour. This is, I mean, Neil, I seriously could talk to you all day and all night about this <laughs> stuff. I find this stuff fascinating. Uh, I have to ask you all fair if you need an assistant. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, 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 I know I can speak for anybody listening to this, that this was really, really fascinating stuff. And so uh, is there anything else you want to say before we, you or Ryan want to say before we wrap up? Because that's it. I'm just thrilled to hear all this stuff this is utterly fascinating well i think uh, real quick you know we can make this really fast we'll just do one quick pass of this but i think it'd be kind of fun to uh, challenge the audience to know if they caught some of the easter eggs that were planted in the movie that james wan had left in you know so it'd be fun to kind of go down my list of things that i remember during focus groups that we were he wanted to know if people saw like for example the annabelle doll appears on the ocean floor uh when you know when mira and aquaman are getting into her ship um nope. there were certain things like that nope nope didn't catch it okay nope. uh 
the Queen Atlanta, Queen Atlanta has a, a replica of the mother box on the table in the White House at the beginning. Did anybody catch nope. that? <laughs> okay. Um, did you see the oil rig explosion uh, that Clark Kent was saved by Aquaman on and King Orm is kind of referencing mankind be destroying the oceans? Nope. Okay. Let's talk about the post-credit sequence because these are some good ones. In the post-credit sequence, and again, spoiler alert, you know, Dr. Shannon saves saves uh, Black Manta and everything. On the wall, in the post-credit sequence, on his wall, there's a bunch of newspaper clippings. One of them is a newspaper from Coast City. Mm-hmm. Does anybody know that? That's the home yeah, of Hal-, Green- Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern. Yeah, I, I right. can see that. Okay, cool. So you caught that one. Uh, there's another one that was uh, one of the newspaper headlines said Wonder Woman nixes Aquaman dating rumor, which <laughs> at the time, at the, at the, which most people are just going to take that as tongue in cheek and think it was funny. But at the time of the filming, that was when Ryan, we had talked about this, they were still planning on going ahead with Flashpoint being the Flash story that they were going to do. Oh, and yeah, yeah. The universe thing. And so at, there, was, there was a reference to Aquaman and Wonder Woman dating. So that was going to be a possible thing that they came up with. And then I, I, I'd like to believe that Ryan is the one that got that story arc just destroyed because he was the one that relayed to me that they don't want to make the villain be a rapist. And oh, no, yeah. No, that wasn't <laughs> even the Flashpoint thing. That was There was the rumor that the Flash villain was going to be Dr. Light. And right. I just texted right. him. Oh, I, was like, I was like, if you can be in the room with like Walter <laughs> oh, Romata no. or Toby Emmerich, make sure Dr. Light is never in one of these movies. That's, that's right. That's right. Oh, so, so if God. that never le- if that never sees the light of day, then we can I'll thank Ryan for that. <laughs> Ryan, you're doing the Lord's work. Yeah. Okay, a couple of quick ones real, real quick before we go. So did we catch the – from the 65 cartoon of Aquaman, his pet octopus Topo did play the drums in this movie at the Ring sure. of Fire. Yeah. Yep. Um, in the lighthouse at the beginning, there were a couple of fun things playing on TV that I don't know if anybody caught. There was a TV show called Stingray that was a 1964 puppet series about underwater adventures. You can look that up on YouTube. There's actually you can actually see the footage. It's hysterical. It's like it's almost like uh, World Team America, World Police. But <laughs> um, there was a, car, a commercial for Arthur Treacher's Fish and Chips restaurant chain that was playing on the TV. Uh, let's see. Uh, Ryan, you probably figured this out. John Reese davies is the Brian King. Yeah, uh, yeah, I recognize the voice. Him, yeah. Julie Andrews from Sound of Music is the crap. Yeah, you knew that. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, let's see. Black Manta's dad in the movie at the beginning, Michael Beach, voiced Devil Ray in Justice League Unlimited. I didn't know that. Yeah, so there's oh, one. Oh, yeah, yeah, cur- yeah, the animated one, yeah. Yep. Uh, in the lighthouse at the beginning, underneath the snow globe, they show a copy of H.P. Lovecraft's The Dunwich Horror, yes. which it was placed for reference because of the tale of two sons, or, uh, you know, a son born from two different species, uh, et cetera. Uh, also, I wanted to say there was, uh, there might have been two uh, uh, Lovecraft books in there because I thought I saw um, the, the story The Shadow Over Innsmouth, which is like a direct inspiration for the trench and like their visual style is from a different HP Lovecraft story. Mm, no, I didn't get that one that you could be right. You very much could be right. However, interestingly enough, and a real quick side note. So the, the trench sequence, um, the dive down with the flares, when they dive down and start going underneath and you see all the creatures from the trench following them down, the inspiration for that shot James Wan said was supposed to be the inverse shot of the Jaws poster, the original Jaws poster of the shark coming up. 
from oh, he, wow. said he wanted it to be the exact opposite inverse going down and that was kind of the inspiration and he thought that all along he thought that that would be the early tr the early teaser one sheet that they would use which they didn't but that was what he envisioned being the first shot for aquaman all along but everybody said no it looks like a horror movie so <laughs> uh let's see real quick uh so the everybody kind of because there's a lot of Jules Verne references in the movie, um, people assume that the 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 land where he finds where he reconnects with his mother is uh, either in homage to like Land of the Lost or or Journey to the Center of the Earth or whatever. Jeff Johns is trying to take credit for that himself, saying no, it's DC's Dinosaur Island. That's where he's he's claiming that that's what that is. Um, let's see real quick. Uh, okay, was there? Sorry, was go. there ever was there ever a scene where they named the dog? <laughs> I don't believe so. That might be an IMDb question, to be honest with you. I don't know if I don't know if that okay. that's not something that I ever mean, came up. Rob, Rob has a stake in this particular question. Because it's my it was my Aquaman blog that named the dog that Jeff Johns took the name from. Uh, we knew, we we ran a poll, and the winning name was Salty. And then the dog, then the dog was christened Salty, and Jeff John said that's where he got it from. And I was in like, the comics, when yeah. I saw, yeah, in the comics, and when I saw the dog in the movie, I was like, oh, please say Salty, but they never say Salty. Oh so wow, like, so close. I, you know, then, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna stamp it as true. Let's just go with that. <laughs> right, I'm, 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 I'm declaring good. it true. I like it. <laughs> okay, finally, the, uh, uh, the, the. When they use the bottle that you have to look through for, and it can only be held by the true king, the reason uh, he uses King Romulus, if anybody knows the ancient story of Rome, Romulus and Remus were the brothers that founded Rome. And again, right. it was kind of a prelude to the two brothers, Orm and Arthur. So right. that kind of stuff. And, you know, we could go on and on. I'm not going to, I'm not going to. I mean, I can, that we could play this game forever, but we're getting, we're running long right now. I just wanted to kind of throw in some, some food for thought, if you will. That's great stuff though. I mean, I like all that. And I like that it's all sort of, it's more flavor than it is like, oh, if you missed it, then you're not going to understand the sequel kind of stuff. It's more just, it's just coloring. And I like all that. I like all yeah. that stuff. You know? Okay. So, I'll give you one more. I'll give you one more. And Rob, this is specifically for you. This is the last one I'll throw out there. So the trident that uh, the King Atlan's trident that he finally gets and then, you know, wins the day with has uh, they created James Wan created an Atlantean alphabet. So there were different letters signifying different letters for America, but it was its own alphabet. But inscribed on the trident are the words Paul and Mort. Right. So that, I, wow. I know what that is, but I did not see it in the movie proper. Yeah, I've seen I, the movie the one time. I need to see this movie again, apparently, because I missed all of these. <laughs> but for those of you listeners that aren't familiar, uh, Paul Norris and Mort Wessinger, the the creators. So there you right. go. I'll we'll leave it on see that. Their name. We see their names in the front of the movie too. So yep. uh, yeah. Well, that, I I don't know, man. I'm I'm blown away. I again, I find all this stuff fascinating. Neil, I'm absolutely going to have to have you on Film and Water to talk about this some other angle because this stuff is. Again, I love all this kind of stuff. I don't find this stuff I, I don't find this stuff dry at all. I love the the marketing of movies. I find it all fascinating. So I thought this was great to learn all this stuff. This was just amazing. So 
Ryan, I have to thank you for for playing matchmaker here to put this together. <laughs> it was it was so funny because over the last couple of months, Ryan would send me these sort of cryptic texts. Where he's like, "My brother saw a cut of Aquaman." I'm like, "Who is this bro? Like, what's happening? Who is this? Bro? What's going on?" And he wouldn't explain. He would just tell me. I was like, "All right, I what's going on?" And so I, I'm super happy I got a chance to talk to you about this. This was really cool stuff. So thank you and thank you, Ryan, for coming on. <laughs> I was like, "Hey, I knew that." Aquaman ended up in the orange and green costume a year ago. <laughs> so therefore I'm better than you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, this was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you for having me on. And I'm glad to, uh, I'm glad to add some, some insight to something, especially something you're so absolutely passionate about. Uh, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm happy yeah. to do it. Oh, I'm going to have to sneak, sneak my way onto the lot when they do the Aquaman <laughs> two preview, man. I got a, I got a, I got a human flying fish. I'm yelling at the top of my lungs. So just, uh, just happened to be in LA that day when you know you're going to do a screening. Exactly. And you get up, yeah. Exactly. Have you seen Justice League? No. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll certainly give you. I'll, I'll tell you what not to say. <laughs> Definitely. Perfect. Yep. Perfect. So perfect. let me know oh, when you man. want to do the Shazam episode. <laughs> oh, I, it's coming soon, man. Coming soon. Oh. It's a fantastic. So again, guys, thank you both for coming on. This was just fantastic. I, I after we did the review episode with me and Chag and Chris and Cindy, like I had a blast. But I was just like, this is an Aquaman movie. This can't just be one episode of the podcast of, this, of the network. I mean, we based the whole network is built on this character. So I'm glad we got a chance to do the second show, and I got to talk to my friend Laura, who was the the only other bigger Aquaman fan that I know. So it was great talking to her and it was super great talking to you guys. I know everybody's really enjoyed this episode. So thank you everybody for listening. Uh, we'll be back, I guess in a couple of weeks, Shag and I'll be back for a regular episode of the fire and water podcast. Um, of course you can find back episodes of the show on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com and visit us on Twitter, which is at F uh, F W podcast. And you can shoot us an email and stuff. Use the contact page there. You've let us know what you thought about this episode. Oh, this is just so exciting. I'm just bursting in the seams to talk about this stuff more. But I'm going to end it here. So, again, thanks, everybody, for listening. And until the next episode, fan the flame and ride the wave all the way to the box office. <laughs> a billion-dollar movie. The biggest yeah. DC movie since The Dark Knight Rises. Jesus. Yeah, about a guy who talks to fish. <laughs> I tell you, I don't want to be king. Once he is named Ocean Master, it'll be too late power at his disposal will be unlike anything you have ever seen. I'm from the surface. No one's going to take me seriously. Okay, I don't even know where to begin. By winning the hearts and minds of the people, by proving to them that you're worthy and retrieving this. Hmm. I already got one of those.